thank you all for tuning up this evening. Um, for our, well, for our first week project, um, to go in a slightly different direction, where uh, essentially we're going to be trying to do things in a debate form rather than a casual chat. Um, but essentially, we're going to try and debate something that we discussed in the past, but I think more candidly than, uh, than anything. Um, on the 6060 podcast, and that is the, the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Uh, I would first of all like to introduce everybody who's on the stream. Um, there's myself, Bruce, obviously, and we have Brambia, who I'm sure you've heard um, much of, but there's also a fresh new face um, that we haven't had on yet so far, um, and that is Andre, and we also have Alfred, who's on the screen as well. Um, so again, I want to thank you guys for, for coming out to help us try and push this forward. Um, I think it's hopefully going to be an interesting one. Um, I guess the, the main thing is that people are coming here to to learn, to open the, the Word of God, to see where both sides um, are going, but ultimately that this isn't a... Um, an issue to even well to be fair it has kind of divided people but in essence as we break this down that it doesn't separate all of us um or divide any of us as we go through so it might get um a bit uh heated or you know a bit emotive i don't know but ultimately that um the the only person who is going to find out of all of this is is christ and um and the God that we serve, and that mainly people can just walk away with a greater understanding of these um, topics as we go forward. Um, what I had in mind first was just to um, kind of go to the root cause, not the root cause, the root of where essentially um, this doctrine has come from and where the varying sides of this doctrine has also come from also. Um, as some of you may or may not know, um, this doctrine um, is derived from um, Calvin, uh, John Calvin, who was a um, someone significant in the Reformation, who um, essentially was um, someone who brought this to light uh, during the Reformation. Um, as they were separating themselves from the Catholic Church um, and going back to scripture, as it were. And then out of um, that school of thought um, came um, Jacob, um, uh, Jacobus Arminius, who um, lived somewhere else, but um, had the same sort of teacher, but he had um, deflected himself and rejected a lot of the things that um, Calvin was teaching, so that essentially that a lot of the separations happened there. So um, I, what I did do was just to allow us to get a greater understanding. I did find um, two videos um, that essentially kind of flesh out both sides. Um, there's one that I've got that says Calvin Calvinism versus Arminianism, which one is true, um, and the other one is what is um, Arminian theology, because I think that one. For me personally, I think needs um, 
greater the video kind of shows um the calvinist side more um but i think the, the armenian side kind of needs fleshing out first so <laughs> what i'll do is if i share my screen so at least then those who are watching are able to at least take uh this in if i put that one on here share and we'll start with this one too long Calvinism versus Arminianism. Which view is correct? Calvinism and Arminianism are two systems of theology that attempt to explain the relationship between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in the matter of salvation. Calvinism is named for John Calvin, a French theologian who lived from 1509 to 1564. Arminianism is named for Jacobus Arminius, a Dutch theologian who lived from 1560 to 1609. Both systems can be summarized with five points. Calvinism holds to the total depravity of man, while Arminianism holds to partial depravity. Calvinism's doctrine of total depravity states that every aspect of humanity is corrupted by sin. Therefore, human beings are unable to come to God on their own accord. Partial depravity states that every aspect of humanity is tainted by sin, but not to the extent that human beings are unable to place faith in God of their own accord. Note, Classical Arminianism rejects partial depravity and holds a view very close to Calvinistic total depravity, although the extent and meaning of the depravity are debated in Arminian circles. In general, Arminians believe that there is an intermediate state between total depravity and salvation. In this state, made possible by prevenient grace, the sinner is being drawn to Christ and has the God-given ability to choose salvation. Calvinism includes the belief that election is unconditional, while Arminianism believes in conditional election. Unconditional election is the view that God elects individuals to salvation based entirely on His will, not on anything inherently worthy in the individual. Conditional election states that God elects individuals to salvation based on His foreknowledge of who will believe in Christ unto salvation, thereby on the condition that the individual chooses God. Calvinism sees the atonement as limited, while Arminianism sees it as unlimited. This is the most controversial of the five points. Limited atonement is the belief that Jesus only died for the elect. Unlimited atonement is the belief that Jesus died for all, but that his death is not effectual until a person receives him by faith. Calvinism includes the belief that God's grace is irresistible, while Arminianism says that an individual can resist the grace of God. Irresistible grace argues that when God calls a person to salvation, that person will inevitably come to salvation. Resistible grace states that God calls all to salvation, but that many people resist and reject this call. Calvinism holds to perseverance of the saints, while Arminianism holds to conditional salvation. Perseverance of the saints refers to the concept that a person who is elected by God will persevere in faith and will not permanently deny Christ or turn away from Him. Conditional salvation is the view that a believer in Christ can, of his or her own free will, turn away from Christ and thereby lose salvation. Note, many Arminians deny conditional salvation and instead hold to eternal security. So, in the Calvinism versus Arminianism debate, who is correct? It is interesting to note that in the diversity of the body of Christ, there are all sorts of mixtures of Calvinism and Arminianism. There are five-point Calvinists and five-point Arminians, and at the same time, three-point Calvinists and two-point Arminians. Many believers arrive at some sort of mixture of the two views. Ultimately, 
it is our view that both systems fail and that they attempt to explain the unexplainable. Human beings are incapable of fully grasping a concept such as this. Yes, God absolutely is sovereign and knows all. Yes, human beings are called to make a genuine decision to place faith in Christ unto salvation. These two facts seem contradictory to us, but in the mind of God, they make perfect sense. Got questions? The Bible has answers, and we'll help you find them. Okay, so that's one. I'm not even sure I might even need to use a second one. Um, but I guess the the one that we're focusing on generally, and in the problem reflection now, I can see how it all ties in um, with essentially the the last bit, because I guess with the Calvinists they have something called tulip. So, um, like I said, it's um, total depravity, uh, unconditional. Uh, election limited limited atonement I can't forget what uh, can't remember what the I is it's in the video and then obviously the piece of perseverance is saying it's all the the one saved always saved sort of thing um, I was going to say with the Arminian side of thing I didn't know a lot about Arminianism um, at all until really looking into it because um, I knew that it was a divide with in terms of like whether Christian can lose their salvation or not but I wasn't quite sure where it placed itself in church history. Um, and it turns out that um, once um, the um, the Armenian and the Calvinist sort of ideologies, not ideologies, or like theology split um, from that school of thought, um, the Methodist um, uh, denomination should come forth from that, and then out of that came... Um, the Pentecostal movement um, more recently. So from that, I kind of understand why um, that sort of um, those sort of doctrines have been held to in terms of like the, the I wouldn't say like the fundamentals because it's a, it's a non-essential sort of thing. Because um, like the, the the video says it's trying to de, um, trying to explain the unexplainable. Um, but then I also find it interesting that got questions are. Um, have the standpoint of four-point Calvinism, so they take everything except for limited atonement. So it's a uh, it's interesting how deep um, this goes when um, digging into it a little bit deeper. But um, I guess if I were to draw a line in the sand, I would assume that um, out of the four of us three of you would say that you can lose salvation? We've got an Andre nodding in from VR. Okay. So, yeah, so it's essentially 3v1 on this one. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll see how this goes. Um, if I just... Uh, oh, sorry. Is there an echo going through? I'll turn mine down a bit. Um, I guess what I'll do first is if we open up with um, some opening statements, if there is anybody who would like to um, essentially try to explain their position. So um, 
I guess we'll transition into that bit now as we go on through. Is it just oh, hang fire. Yeah, I think um, Andre's got something and perhaps Pastor Williams as well. Sure. But Andre's then, well, is over to um, one of you. Do it alphabetically. <laughs> oh, it's not me then, is it? <laughs> okay, I mean, what I would um, just um, probably begin with, and it's just going to be a very short um, sort of a, a statement, basically, and it would be the idea that I think um, we sometimes, I believe sometimes we don't deal with... Um, with a particular part of the salvation story. And that is that we assume, or sometimes we mean different things by, by being saved. Um, so, for example, we frequently have the idea that um, as soon as um, I feel um, a conviction by, of the Lord, and that I start to fellowship with the brothers and sisters and the brethren, um, and I start to do the do the um, the necessary Christian stuff that that um, put a rubber stamp in me as being saved. Um, so it's almost like from the minute of my encounter with God, people want to assume that I am saved. And I would think that there's a flaw in that very much. And so, so what I'm actually trying to say here, um, even though there's a, a, a raft of stuff, statements were made there um, by the two camps that I totally, um, totally um, see as conflicting with so many scriptures on both sides of that um, argument that we just listened to. Um, but going back to my point where I think some confusion comes from, it's because we don't really high and out. I don't know whether we are whether we're whether we have the capacity to, um, but um, we don't high and at what point is somebody saved? Is it this am I saved when I come to the altar or when I, I feel a conviction and I say I'm you know, is that what saved being saved mean? I would I would like to doubt that very much otherwise a lot of what the apostle the apostle let me come back to jesus a lot of what jesus said would make absolutely no sense so for example when jesus says he that endures to the end the same shall be saved so it would suggest to me from that statement of jesus that um even though i started on my journey with him i've got to finish it and I've got to finish it in a manner that pleases him. I've got to finish it in a manner that, um, that, 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 that merits in his eyes my justification for being called a true child of God or being done as being saved. So, 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 so the, I started the journey. According to Jesus Christ, I start the journey. But um, the journey is not end until I endure to the end. To the end, I guess, must can only mean one thing, the end of my physical human journey on this planet. So that's the point I would just like to raise there. I'm, I'm not going to say anything much more than that. That, that, that it, you know, some of these discussion uh, that people have, I think um, 
we just they jump in and they have a grandiose discussion without first of all before you can move on to um another discussion you must first find some fundamental scripture and literally destroy them you know that they they're not part of the argument anymore and so even before anybody would move on to say to say the next argument of um of of one save always say, we must then eliminate what jesus has just said here and 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 that is just one of the many scriptures that um we could we could um we could single out that that's that suggests that so we could we, we we sometimes we we have a lot of discussion and discussion and discussion and circle it's all going around in circle and the reason why it's going in a circle is because we have not used a sieve we have not sifted out anything that's not relevant and so we will be like a futile discussion going on until we put aside the things that's not relevant in the argument and we're only left with the things that are relevant so for me one of the fundamental relevant statement here is what Jesus either endures to the end the same shall be saved can we eliminate that can we put that through a sieve and say that is not in the argument that's that that's my, that's the hope in um conversation that i would leave you with Yep. Okay, I um, don't know if anybody else wanted to. Oh, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, I'll be happy to. Um, so, essentially, um, we've already gone through sort of what eternal security is. Um, I'll be taking up the orthodox position. I'm not affiliated with the church. I'm not, I'm not, like, given a blessing by them to be talking on their behalf, but I'll be presenting their position. Um, so, essentially, uh when we're talking about eternal security, we are talking about tulip here. And it's kind of a combination of the U, the I, and the P. Un unconditional election, irresistible uh, grace, uh, yeah, irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints, right? So essentially, when you combine these three things, you get from the moment anybody becomes a Christian, uh, they're saved from hell. Uh, and they won't lose salvation no matter what they do. Even if they have a bad day and they, I don't know, uh, kill someone if they repent eventually they'll come back that's kind of what this leads to right um so there's many issues with this doctrine that we must persevere against unconditionally so i would say that calvinism can't be called orthodoxy in the big o sense the orthodoxy that we all accept uh and it can't i don't even think it can be called christianity um and the reason i'll say this is it's really Trinitarian Islam. And I'll go into the reasons why this is actually connected to Islam uh, later on. But um, to begin, we have to ask some presuppositional questions because Calvinism is a, a theological and a philosophical lens to look at scripture, just as everybody has these lenses. It, it doesn't matter what you say. There is no, unless you are in direct uh, union with God, there is no objective way to look at the scripture because inside you, when you're in sin, you're not going to be able to read what's on the paper correctly. It's just a fact of how um, this, that's just how the Bible and God works, right? If you don't have a clean heart, mind, these are connected in scripture. In Greek, it's the same thing. The law is written on the heart and it says nomos and nous is the word that that's connected to. So nous, heart and mind are connected. So if you don't have a clean heart, you can't perceive what the scripture is saying correctly. Okay. So 
that's why we have to talk about philosophical lenses first. Um, so what is the philosophical lens of this doctrine? Well, really, the, 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 the lens that caused all of this would come from Catholicism. Whether Calvinists know this or not, the reason why they have the belief that there's something uh, called a divine decree or fate, uh, if you're a Muslim, kismet or whatever, um, the reason they have this is because of uh, a, uh, a doctrine called <clears throat> absolute divine simplicity. So this is the idea that Thomas Aquinas wrote down in about, I think it's a 11th or 12th century. And what this does is it takes the attributes of God, his works, and it mixes them into his essence. So for people who don't know what this means, it means it takes what God does, who he is, and it mixes it with the substance that he's made out of. OK, now, because God is made out of well, he's we don't know what he's made out of. He's just eternal. When you mix the workings and the essence together, you make all of the workings eternal. So no longer is God just um, merciful. He's eternally merciful. So that means at all times he has to have something to be merciful to. This is called a modal collapse argument. Um, it's the same thing that Roman Catholics, Muslims, and lots of other faiths have a problem with. But essentially, when you have this absolute divine simplicity, it means that when God um, predestines something, it's now eternal because his mind, his workings, and his essence are now joined together. So when God thinks of something in this philosophical lens, it must happen. And because of that, that's how you get predestination and limited atonement and things like this, right? So this is all basically based on the Roman Catholic errors. That's where Calvinism and the logical extrapolations of Calvinism come from. And that's, I'll leave it to that. Can I add something? Uh, yeah, sure. Very quickly. So I only want to make just a couple of points, yeah? Uh, one is about conditional salvation, and the other one is about grace, irresistible grace. Yeah. One camp says it's irresistible, the other one says it can be. It, it it's not. Yeah. It depends on the. It's. It depends on the will whether a person receives it. Yeah. So I wanted to share just a scripture, and I wanted to share with you Second uh, Corinthians six. Verse 1. Uh, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. It says, And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the time, at acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now, or today is the day of salvation, giving no offense, no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry be not. Uh, will not be discredited. So my point here is the Christian believers that Paul is writing to, he's telling them it's possible to receive God's grace in vain. So my point is, it's not grace is not irresistible. Grace can be resisted. Um, and 
that that's my first point. The second point was about conditional, the idea of in terms of sovereignty, you know, is God sovereign? Sovereignty doesn't mean that God overrides the will because that means God is making a person a sinner. That means God is sending them to hell because he chooses to send them to hell without them any doing anything. On the one hand, we say that God saves us. What a wonderful thing for those who are. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. But for those who are not, who had nothing to do with it, God is guilty for sending them to hell. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's go to Genesis. So I'm going to be sharing some very unusual scriptures that you will probably not have heard in these kind of arguments. Remember, Jesus is always the central focus. Is our theology going to bring, him, bring us closer to him or away from him? Those are the only two things a Christian should consider when in these kinds of debates. Is my position taking me further away from Christ or bringing me closer? But we have to balance that with the word of God to just to check through the lens that it is correct. So if we go to Genesis, uh, just bear with me, I think. Genesis 3, I think it is. So do you remember when the two brothers, Cain and Abel, brought their sacrifice? One of the brothers became very wroth. That would be Cain, yeah? Because his, his, his um, sacrifice wasn't accepted. So, sorry, Genesis 4, verse 7. God says to um, Cain, if you do well, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. So my, my point is this. If, God, if grace is irresistible and man's total depravity prevents him from being saved, why is God giving him a choice? That's the first thing, yeah? Why is God giving Cain a choice? We know that Cain went on to murder his brother because he was of the devil. So that's the other thing. Now, let's go to the Lord Jesus. Let's go to John 15. Is it possible for us to lose our salvation? Well, let's go to John 15. And I'm going to look at verse 6 and 7. Well, let's start from 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them up and cast them into the fire and they are burnt. So we have people here, believers here, that are part of Christ. He's the vine. They're connected to him. But look what he says. If anyone does not abide in me, he dries up. In my garden, we have a tree next to, um, in the corner, uh, right in one of the corners. And my neighbor brought in a Japanese tree right next to it. And that dreadful thing poisoned the other tree and half killed it. I didn't realize that, but I left it there for years. Half of, it, half of the branches are dead and half are alive. 
it seems. Yeah, so I had to cut off the dead ones. I couldn't understand that. How can half of them be dead and half of them be alive? But when I snapped one, it was completely dry. They broke instantly. There was no moisture in them. They were, they were not being connected to uh, the stem. There was no moisture, so they were dying. My point is what Jesus is making a very strange statement here and a very challenging statement that those who actually are in him, if they don't abide in him, they will dry up and they will be cast like wood. Uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it will be done. Now that fire and the burning can be symbolic of hell because Jesus is talking about a very, very serious point here. And then find my final scripture is from Revelation, because I want to show you from Genesis to the center to Revelation, how these scriptures tie in together. So if we go to Revelation, just bear with me quickly. Wow, this, okay. Um, I just did a search on the word if, and I've got thousands, about, one and a half thousand references. So bear with me, I need to reach through it differently. Well, while you're doing that, can I put something in? Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. So you were talking about Genesis 4-7. What's interesting is if you read, um, if, you read the if you read Genesis 4-7 in Hebrew, where it says um, that sin is creeping at your door or crouching at your door, crawling, the Hebrew actually says, um, Robes, or or I don't know how to say it in Hebrew, but it says Robes or something like that, right? This is actually um, connected to an Akkadian supernatural being who was a demon called Rabisu. So what what we're talking about here is that sin is like a is like a demon that's ready to come and get you, essentially, right? So this is going to affect the way that the Old Testament Jews saw the nature of sin versus how the or the how augustine and uh calvin saw sin they saw it as um more of like a guilt or like a merited status whereas in the old testament the jews there saw it more as like a demonic presence or something that's ready to grab you right so it's an energy that you can either participate in basically so that's going to be the, the key difference between um, Augustine, Calvin, and the Old Testament. That's just one thing to add in. Can I add a bit in as well then, Paramvir? Please, please. Yeah. So, so, so uh, Andre, th that um, sort of a exposition that you gave there, it's it's borne out so well even in the in the New Testament because you know the the, the reality is. Um, if the New Testament and the Old Testament um, um, differ in philosophy, there's something wrong. They've got to be, they've got to, be, they've got to synchronize. So if we follow the, um, the Lord's Prayer, and when Jesus said to the disciples, when they said, teach us to pray, and Jesus said, you know, when you pray, pray after this manner, our Father who art in heaven, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth and it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now it comes down to this very, very crucial bit. Deliver us from evil. Now this is where sometimes we we make a um, mistake, I would suggest. Believing that 
you know, um, that that evil is is just something that we do. But if we look again, I think at the at the um, at the the Greek more carefully, it's actually deliver us from the evil one. You know, so it's it is that demonic person we're we're being delivered from. You know, it's not it's not deliver stop me from sinning. No, deliver me, protect me, not not from myself. Protect me from the encroaching evil one who is prowling like a roaring lion seeking to devour me. So, so, so the two things, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they just marry up um, like, like, like water flowing into water. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Pastor Alfred. Right. A couple of scriptures from Genesis. Genesis 3.20. He says, Behold, I stand at the drawer of your heart and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Now, there's the if there, if anyone. The second thing is, if, if it's sovereignty, if God sovereignly chooses someone, the word if shouldn't be there. Because it, the person who can open the door, that involves his own will. If the will is depraved, then that means Jesus shouldn't be knocking. He should be just going through the door because that's the implication. If, we are, if man is so depraved that he cannot even make up his mind, why is Jesus knocking on the door? Why doesn't he just go in? Because he's waiting. He's waiting for someone to open the door. That does require responsibility from man. Second scripture. From Genesis, Genesis uh, Revelation, sorry, 13, verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone has an ear. God doesn't just talk to the ones he wants to and save them. Now, there are scriptures, lots of scriptures. It says God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All men. Uh, so it's not limited atonement. It's actually universal. Now, if we carry on further, then in uh, Revelation 14, 9, then another angel a third one followed him, them saying with a loud voice, if anyone, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand. So the implication here is, if people are depraved, the angel is giving them a choice because the angels are preaching the everlasting gospel because the church isn't around at this time. The angel is giving the people on the earth even though they're about to worship the Antichrist, he's giving them a choice. Why? Why would you give them a choice? If they are depraved, why is God sending angels to save them? It sounds like on the one hand, God wants to save. On the other hand, he wants them destroyed. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, then it goes on further in, in Revelation 20, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, which means that God himself sovereignly decided to write the names of some but not others and that that means they had nothing to do with it they had no choice but god sovereignly decided who was going to go to hell and who was going to go to be with him in heaven and i think these are misunderstandings of what paul is talking about from romans 9 a complete misunderstanding so one thing i would like to say revelation 22 19 if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of the book of this prophecy, God will take away from him uh, 
his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in the book of life. Again, that doesn't make sense. How can it be if God has sovereignly chosen people that this kind of thing can happen? So the point I'm trying to make is right from Genesis to the Gospel of John in the center of the Bible to Genesis uh, to Revelation, we see that God has always implied choice. Uh, I've got lots of scriptures from uh, the Lord of Moses where he says, if you obey my commands, you will be blessed. You can go to uh, Deuteronomy 28, um, all of that chapter talks about blessings and cursings of obedience and disobedience. Jesus said, if any man love me, if any man love me, he will keep my words. There are so many ifs. Yeah. In fact, about 15, I think about 1451, 445 verses I've got here on if. Uh, but not all of them are connected with cho uh, if in the sense of a choice between salvation or not. So the problem I'm having is with, okay, when we go over to Romans 9, a lot of the basis of election, foreknowledge, sovereignty, and all of that, predestination, is based around that. But the problem, if you start going down that route, it turns so much of the Bible upside down. In order to hold that onto that position, you've actually turned up from Genesis to Revelation completely upside down in order to justify those scriptures, really. Now, I have myself at one stage believed in once saved, always saved, until I was, you know, and then I realized later on I'd made a mistake. I have spoken to many, many believers who, uh, over the years, who, who hold on to that position um, in different kinds of churches. And they, they, they just sort of accept it. But when you ask them the deeper questions, they just don't know. They'll say, well, is God sending people to hell? They don't know. God is sovereign. And it, it does make the cross seem very, very um, unreasonable. It doesn't make sense. Why, why, why is Jesus on the cross? Why is he on the cross suffering for sin? Is he only suffering for the ones who are going to heaven? Or is he suffering for the whole world? It does bring that into disrepute. And that's basically all I really wanted to say. And uh, I'm going to hand over back to Reese because I'm sure you have a lot to say, Reese, because there's three of us and we haven't given you a chance to respond. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but Reese, just before you, 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 you respond, um, please, um, again, I'd just like to pose, pose another question because, um, because, you know, I think um, I want to be a little bit like Jesus um, who, when he's asked a question, he... he he said, "Well, I, I know I know the answer, but I want to ask you a question to see what if you know really what you what you're talking about and why why you're asking me what you're asking me." And you followed the you followed the arguments of Jesus throughout his um his ministry as is recorded for us to take some note of. You know, um, people ask us question and we give an answer. Well, well, you know, Jesus would ask them, well, "What do you think?" You know, it's not that Jesus doesn't know. But I want to hear what's coming from your heart and your mind and where it's coming from. But um, but two things. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give a scripture, Brother Parmvir, that actually um helps to support um your 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 um recent um 
conversation. But I'm going to ask another fundamental question, just like the one I asked in the beginning, you know, um, where I say that sometimes we don't even know what we're talking about when we say a man is saved. Because you know, people say, uh, Pastor Alfred, are you saved? And I might say, well, yes, I am saved. But 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 that is um that is in that is in the present, you know. But um but I think that um I'm not done until I'm done, you know. You know the thing's not done, and uh, as they say, until the fat lady sings, you know. Um, so 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 um so 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 here here's here's my question again. This is another question that I have. Are there implications? depending on which view you take in the one and and I would even answer that question myself in the one there is absolutely no implication in the other one there is implication you know and 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 the one I would say if if I accept that um that I'm not always saved I've got to remain faithful to the Lord every every minute of the day. And I'm not saying I do it by myself. I'm doing it by the grace of God. I'm doing it by the mercies of God. You know, I'm doing it because I because God has given me that will. And and and, and we go back and the scriptures say, He gives us grace for grace. If I if I if I show you know God's he, the, the, the initial grace, the moving grace, the mover of the grace is God. And I receive that grace and I can now respond to his grace a little bit like, oh, God, um, God blessed um, um, Elijah and he blessed Elisha and Elisha's is Elisha's got um, the um, the fever for God. But he has but he also has he also has a desire to have he watched his master how great and righteous and spiritual and enduring and godly his master was and and the challenges that his master had and he desired for more grace than his master elijah give me a double portion of your blessing he asked for you know um so there is a there, there is that there is that there is that 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 individual Thirsting, the psalmist David says, the heart, as the heart thirsts after the water brook, so my soul thirsts after thee, O God. Not every Christian's heart and mind and spirit thirst alike for God. Hence, Jesus will say, Jesus gives a blessing. He said, blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's a choice that people have, you know, and he didn't say is not everyone is going to be filled. You've got to have a thirst for the things of God. You've got to have a hunger for the th things of God. And then why does he say, seek and you will find? You know, because that comes down to the individual level. You know, if you want more of God, you will get more of God. If you don't want more of God, you will not get more of God. You know, so blessed are they who do hunger and thirst of the righteousness, for they shall be filled. So my, my real question is then, there is a, there is an implication, I believe. Uh, let, me, let me be ignorant. Let me be. Let me be brave and bold. Not I believe. I know there is an implication for um for um for for one or the other views because if you if you believe something and and it sometimes we 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 profess to believe in a thing but we don't actually practice what we believe. You know, we don't actually practice it because if I believe that um, one save always save. I will not be so 
so driven and, and troubled to live um, a troubled free life uh, as, as if I believe that, um, you know, um, I'm saved and God will always, no matter what pitfall I fall into, no matter how close I walk to the precipice, you know, God was always there for me. You know, I could uh, uh, literally do and I could be I could become reckless because I believe in my heart that the day that I accepted Jesus Christ, the day that I felt that I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I am sealed forever and nothing can touch me. I'm invincible. I would not need. I could walk very carelessly. I could I could walk, I could become very presumptuous. But the scripture that God is not mocked. You know what a man so he will reap. So that's the first thing I would say. There is an implication depending on which view you believe. Now there is no implication on the other side. On the other side, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I will walk so far from the precipice, I will never fall over the precipice. You know, I'm not in danger of falling over the precipice because I believe that if I go too close to the precipice, there is a chance that a little gale force wind, a little a little heart attack might just cause me to fall over the precipice. So I'm not going to walk that close. So, so the, the belief that I can lose my salvation um, you, you know, it, it's nothing to do with God's uh, God, God inability to keep me. It's about my inability, my my uh, going back to Christ. Men prefer darkness rather than light. That is what will 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 cause me to um to lose my salvation. Not nothing to do with the ability of God. You know, it's all comes down to my dislike of God. My dislike of being obedient to God, my dislike of trusting God, my dislike of having faith in God. That is my crave for the things of this world. My, 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 my love for the world. That's what will keep me from God. Not because God is, is, is not able to keep me, you know. So, you know, so, so, um, so here's where I, I will give a scripture, um, 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 to, um, sort of a help, I guess, well, to substantiate also what you were dealing with there, um, Brother Parnvir. And it's from Revelation 17. And it's again, it's a un it's it's like a, a universal call to all mankind. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And it says, And let him that is a thirst come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I think that is a very open call. It didn't say, Those whom God love, those whom God have already sealed, come. You know, this is just a open invitation for anybody anybody who wants to but but again i think where we where we where we don't where i don't want to be misunderstood i am always having at every layer that god is involved in every layer i'm not saying that i have the ability or that any human being have the ability to come to god by their own volition the holy spirit works with every man and some respond and some don't respond so the the, the, the mover, the prime mover, the first mover in salvation is always God. You know, so that's so I'm never taking that away and say, oh, I, uh, you know, I'm going to serve the Lord. Why did why did that come into my heart? I'm confessing it didn't even though I can't trace it. 
but I believe it that it's not my it's not me, but somehow the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me, and that is my response to the Holy Spirit by taking the call. You know, the Holy Spirit is the first mover, and I'm responding, I'm the second mover. Thank you. Just check, did anyone else want to share anything before? No? Okay. Um, I guess what I'll probably do is I'll start with um, the fact that there's a lot of people might you, there are implications on both sides um, uh, and it does need clearing up from the onset like um, I guess one thing that we've noticed especially in that Sunday school lesson we had where it says in the book um, this as well Jesus is the once for all sacrifice um, humanity but some can use it as an excuse uh, as a, a license to sin when it comes to um the eternal security if you think you can come to christ thinking that you can then use that as a um a oh we've lost andre <laughs> yeah um, we do one hour today unfortunately oh, okay fair enough fair enough um if we could come to christ thinking that it then gives us an excuse to continue sinning there's a theological problem there because that doesn't run consistent with scripture. So just, um, so with this structure, that doesn't give, it doesn't advocate for that in any way, shape or form. And there are things that, um, when you go through scripture that kind of fleshes that out and rebuts that from the onset. So when I, and I can understand it because when people hear all oh, once saved, always saved, it's the case of also, oh, you think you can just do anything. If you, hear it on its face value, you may come to that conclusion straight away, but once dug into, and it's not even a case where saying, oh, you know, like John Calvin and all this, like, it's, like, it's just essentially like, if you focus on how salvation seems to be laid out in scripture and what um, the Bible says in terms of like the condition of man and how it all works through, you begin to see that there may be some weight to what was being, um, being pulled out um, from the scripture. So it's like, in terms of the things we can agree on, um, first of all, that obviously salvation is not a license to sin. That would be completely antithetical. Like, why would Jesus send his son to die for sin for us to then just continue in sin? What would be the point? You may as well have not come to begin with. I think we can all agree on that from the onset. Um, and sin is not something that is supposed to be enjoyed. It, it's a stench to God in every way, shape or form. It's an abomination. It's not something that we should be causing, causing up to. It's something that should be shunned. It should be cut off. Um, salvation also isn't a passive thing. It's very much active. That it is um, something that is transformative as you go through your walk as a Christian. I think we can definitely agree on that. And when you do become a Christian, sin becomes a war, not a feast. I think we can both agree on that on the standpoints that we both have. So with those things aside, I think there's definitely things that um, we, um, that we can see that obviously like the, maybe things that we've talked about in the, in the video, in the sense, well, in the videos, it's like, um, if you can, 
lose your salvation in the sense that, you know, we're not totally depraved. We're partially, like sin has only dampened us a little bit. And then God has done part of the work and we need to do the rest. The implication might be that we might have something to boast about. God has done all of this. But it's like, oh, I've done this much, but it's up to you um, to kind of do the rest for it to be complete. There might be a problem there from the two standpoints. Um, there would be also um, issues with regards to um, what the criteria is for losing your salvation and um, what sort of things can um, can go can point you in the direction of that sort of thing happening. Um, it also then puts um, a debate into the certain promises that um, Jesus had made and God had made with regards to how um, he did the things of salvation to work. There'll be debates with, within that sort of thing. Um, but I guess, it, yeah, I guess the biggest thing is just like, well, who is the biggest proponent to to um, to salvation? It's like, as well, if you know, we're only partially dead, then how do you then interpret other scriptures and things like that? So, so with, with regards to, um, say, if I were to, to walk on through, if I were to give my, my scriptures that we're walking through, it's like, so then we can kind of get a, a, an idea of how I believe that we can probably agree how salvation works is that um, we are all children of wrath. I think we can agree with that in Ephesians 2 verse 3. Um, we were dead in our trespasses all of us, I think we can kind of, or hopefully that we can kind of agree that, um, that we're all born into sin. So like, like yes, yeah, so Ephesians 3, and um, as like Roman says, you know, we were not God seeking in our sinful state. God is not going to be on the priority list for us, I would hope. In the fact that, yeah, like we said, like, if we were partially, uh, partially you know, if sin had only tainted us slightly, then how would you say that if no one's seeking for God, he's got an asterisk there, so it's only that those who are slightly enlightened will draw, um, go, um, go to Christ. But then if we are, if we understand how death works, it's what death means, that there's no life in it whatsoever. So when it comes to, you know, us being new creatures, we are regenerated, as um, it's highlighted in Second Corinthians um, 5 or 17, that, you know, we are made new creatures, is it an absolute thing or is it partial? Because scripture seems to highlight that um, it's, a, it's a full work in that God has done there. So we were you know, completely dead. We weren't seeking for him. Then he does something to get us to the point where we can then see him for who he is through the cross. And through that, through that regeneration, we are given, we had hearts of stone initially, but we we're given hearts of flesh. Is he, Ezekiel 36 verse 26 and his law is now written on our hearts by Romans 2 verse 15 and the Holy Spirit dwells within us so when it comes to sin we we only now find it repulsive because God has enlightened us to it we now see that what we've been doing has been absolute deployment in his eyes we now see him for who he is um, and our desires towards him have changed. We no longer want to please ourselves, but we want to please him. Um, as we have the Holy Spirit within us, um, we are convicted. You see that in um, 
you see in Acts where the Holy Spirit is, as um, I forgot what the word is, when it says, oh, it's like it pricks the hearts of men. Um, it's not like a gentle prodding. It's a, like a severe stabbing of the heart. We have that continuously as we go through our um, our work, our walk with Christ. That doesn't just, if like if it's a case where you think that you can come in as a licensed sin, that automatically becomes a problem. Because if you think that you can come to Christ and then sin is fine, then what's the Holy Spirit doing? What is the Holy Spirit doing? If he's not convicting you of the sin that you've been saved from, then we've got a theological issue here. But we know that we can't necessarily, well, we know we can't put that on, you know, there's a problem with the Holy Spirit, the problem's with us. So it would bring into things like, well, have you had this regenerated born again experience where you no longer desire um, to, to, you know, um, indulge in sin or does it become a battle? Like um, Paul mentioned, I can't remember where he, um, where he states it, where it's just like he's warring between the, the good and the evil. Like you see how the spirit is warring against the flesh. If someone thinks they can again come to Christ thinking that they continue to, to, enjoy sin, then it's very much one-sided. The Holy Spirit would have to be active in there to say that, oh, you know what, what I'm doing is wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. And then it's, um, it, I think one of the things that I was reflecting on that might be one of the, um, the things is that there might be this joining of, um, it's all part of the package, but um, possibly from, from your standpoint that there is a, um, a tying of how justification and sanctification works in the sense that um, if justification um, obviously comes to the cross, you know, it's his righteousness that we're standing in. We are still sinners because we still sin, but it's in his righteousness that is accredited to us. It's not something that we've earned ourselves because Jesus had to stand in the gap. He had to get in the way in order to to make it so then we can um, achieve, well, not even achieve, um, obtain the salvation. So, because obviously it's a gift. It's not something we've earned of ourselves, which is again, why I felt like it's like, from your standpoint, it's like, um, it might be something you would boast about if, um, if it's a case of, you know what, your God brought me to the point where I could see him and I chose to, to, um, to make this decision. And I guess, um, understanding that there is like two, um, sides of the argument that, um, it could be a case where when God obviously being, um, outside of time, whether he looks to see who might turn to him um, and then elects them to be um, the ones who are saved or um, because he can see all of time, he will be successful in saving all of those who he um, he wants to save. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean that, oh, you know, he only saves two because he obviously has a promise um, to Abraham where it's just like, you know, your descendants will be like the stars and be like the grains of sand. So he can save as many people, because he's, he's God, like salvation isn't something that we've created or something that we had to orchestrate. It's something that he's chosen of himself. So from my standpoint, I don't have this thing of, oh, you know what? I, I can boast about the fact that, you know what? I've got this thing and God's chosen me. So no, like I have no reason for you to save me. Absolutely no reason. I, I was not looking for you. I was not looking for you at all, but you decided even before I even existed that you might convict me of my sin, open, take the scales off my eyes and see that I'm a wretched sinner and see that everything I am doing has set one path for me and you've decided to stand in the gap, take my punishment because I couldn't live the life that Jesus did, but he accredits his righteousness to me and he takes my punishment that you, that you dealt with on the cross, that when I do stand before you, 
you get glory. And it's not because I have decided that, oh, you know what? We've just done very well with such and such and such. It's like, now look, can you see how glorious I am in the sense that this man is a sinner? There's no reason why he should be, he should be dwelling with me, but because of my love and because of how much I care about humanity, I have chosen him to be uh, an oracle of my glory. And through that, I can then um, reach other people. So it's, there's a humbling thing with that with me. There's obviously there's people who hold this standpoint and they do get very arrogant. They, they do say that with Calvinists that they, um, they do get very arrogant. So, oh, you know, what? Um, oh yeah, God saved me and he's going to, he's going to, um, he's going to you know, destroy the rest and all that sort of stuff. Well, no, no. Cause like, if you see, like, look at the compassion when you come to Jesus with Jerusalem, obviously when you have John the Baptist who says, you know, um, bear fruits worthy of that repentance. Obviously we talk about the fruits and those fruits can't be um, born except in Christ. And um, when you then take things like the claims of that Jesus was just like, you know what? Um, uh, you might have to help me with this. this is like, These are my sheep, my sheep, not my voice. Um, and I will not lose one of them. And God will not no, lose I one of them either. No, no, he says, a stranger they will not follow. Um, I'll have to talk about you. It's in John. Yes, it says, uh, my sheep know my voice, and they, and they, 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 they follow, answer when I call They them. follow me. And yes. Um, yeah. It's like, if you were, if you, if you're, how does someone who is completely dead in their sin get to the point where they start following? If, and there's a point where, like, obviously God, um, Jesus thanks God for the fact that he's drawing these sheep to himself. And he's not going to lose them and they're not going to be plucked out of god's hands so it seems as if they're god they're jesus and god themselves are making a declaration that these people who he's going to draw to himself and he's going to make alive are going to you know like he's made the declaration that you know i'm going to hold him to the end and he can say that because of the standpoint that he's got like we see through scripture how um you do see how we fight against um as you know, sinful men, we fight against God. I use Jonah as an, inst uh, an example. Like, God told him to do something. He decided to do the opposite. But then in his sovereignty, I'll use that word, did Jonah do what God had said? Yes, he did. Yes, he ran, but he put certain things in place to get him back to where he wanted him to be, to do something that he wanted. And then even Jonah had to was perplexed about what God was doing. They said, no, I love these people. There's no, like you could, like, from your perspective, you can see no reason for these people to be, um, um, people to be saved, but I love them. I love them. And it's like, and a message went out. You see like, yeah, when the, the gospel goes out that there's always this conviction thing, it's, it turns it's not, what must I do to be saved? You know, that obviously with, you have the law, um, in the, the old Testament where it shows you that you can try and attain all of these things, but ultimately you have to continue going back and, um, um, oh, let's see, I'm fine. Um, I've had some more proof here. So, yeah, John 10, 27, verse 28. So, yeah, my sheep will follow me. Um, I'll give them eternal life. And in verse 29, no one will pluck them out of my hand. Declarations like that. Um, I've lost the train of thought now. What was I saying, Just? I apologize. Um, I completely lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> not, not to worry. Not, not to worry. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, 
if you get if you got like if you walk through scripture, um, we kind of see how it's not necessarily again. We can have our 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 our, our viewpoints on like how Calvin, um, what you know, Calvin himself or Calvinism and how things went through the. But it's just, well, it's it's not a case where like for me personally, I'm not I'm not exalting Calvin in any way, shape, or form. It's it's the Bible and what the words are saying. And these claims that are being said, it's just like, do I take these by faith? Do I take these by faith? So when I hear it's like, oh, you know, um, do, do, do who, who, whose side do I take? Do I take the side of, um, you know, I can lose my salvation. If I can lose my salvation, what is the criteria for me losing that salvation? What sin is there that man can do that would overcome that of, um, of the cross that will then nullify the um, the atoning work of what the cross has done. Because even with the cases that, you know what, we, we sin, um, we do sin. It's like I say, like, oh, you know, if you, um, if using a hypothetical, if you were to know sexual sin, that's what makes you lose your salvation. So, well, if that were the case, then why is Jesus then saving people who are in sexual sin? Because if that can get you out, then surely you wouldn't let them into begin with, but he's gracious enough to to save them. Um, so you see, there's, there's interesting questions that come up. It's just like, okay, so if I'm going through scripture and all these things, it's like, you know, Jesus is our high priest. He's, you know, he's, he's making um, um, petitions to us for the Father because of other questions. Then it's not, it says, oh, you know, Reese slipped up, um, you know, but don't, don't do anything to him. Don't do this. It's a case of like, you know what? You drew him to, you've drew him to myself. The the cross is the once for all on all sins, past, present, and future. We will convict him, and he will be convicted of the broken contract. Has oh, you know, I've sinned against God. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. And and you walk through that sanctification process because it says like um, in the Bible, in your path, they'll probably tell me where it, um, it's pulled from. So, um, those he loves, he prunes. So there's things that I'm going to again in my sinful state. I'm going to put like that is appalling to God, but he cuts it off. He cuts it off me so that I may bear good fruit out of that. It's not necessarily a case of he cuts me off because uh, as you see like through scripture where, um, again, it's going back to the salvation thing that a lot of people profess to be Christians. They did it in Jesus' time. But then it's interesting, you're yeah, going back to John the Baptist where it says like, oh, um, I, am, I may baptize you with, um, with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's salvation and judgment. And then he says, oh, you know, he's coming with his uh, winnowing fork and he's going to, um, he's going to sift the wheat. So the wheat and the tares, they grow together, but he's going to sift the two. Um, you see this, um, obviously, with the, with the perseverance um, in Matthew 24, it's like those who endure to the end will be saved. Yeah, they will endure to the end because they'll have the Holy Spirit will engage them to hold, um, to, um, to push through to the end. You see how the Holy Spirit works in the, the Old Testament where it comes upon someone to do a work and uh, um, a service that God has um, elected them to do. You see that within um, with the apostles in the New Testament, they always ask for, can you, you know, fill us with your spirit so maybe you're doing these bold things and these bold things are causing absolute havoc with the Jews who are walking through them, um, walking with them in that time period. But did they endure to the end? They surely did. They surely did. Did they do that of themselves? I don't think so because before they had the Holy Spirit, obviously um, Peter denied, um, denied Jesus, but Jesus said he would. 
did he say, oh, you'll deny him. And then if you deny him, I'm going to take salvation from you. I'm going to um, make you unclean again. And then when you repent, it's like, no, it's just like, I know you're going to do this. You, you see this, this, this sovereignty pouring out again. I can't think of another way that this, this sovereignty comes out where it's just like, you know what? Everything that Jesus says has to come true. It has to come true because he's God. Like he's the, um, and yeah, the other things like, like, you know, he's the author and the finisher of our, of our faith. Um, Seems a bit one-sided, Reese. Yeah. So, 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 brother Reese, you, you know, because um, I, I think um, I, I think some of the problems that we're having is that um, some of the things that you're saying, it's not God that's doing them, you know. Um, like, 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 if I turn away from God, it's not God that turns me away; it's me that turns away from God, you know. So Christ doesn't make me unclean. It's 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 me going back and like a dog to my, my to my to my vomit that makes me unclean. That's what the scripture says, you know. So it's not Christ that say, you know, I'm gonna punish you. No, no, no. It is me that turns back from God. God has no. Listen, listen. Let let me let me let me let let me read 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 the scripture for you. And this is what I'm saying that um, we have to uphold. The whole testament as well as the new testament in so many ways the all um let me let me let me let me find this um ezekiel 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 33 i think it is i'm looking for a link um, first before answer because i've, I've um, got a an answer for that because like we we still fall um like yeah we are accountable for every sin that we make. I'm not saying that we're robots. Yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is, let's say, because you, 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 you says um, Christ doesn't make us, Christ doesn't make us unclean. Well, no, Christ, Christ, that, 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 that's not God. God does not make anything unclean. God make clean out of unclean things, you know. But, but I can go back and wallow in my, in my, in my filth, you know. But that's not God that's made me do that. You know that that's me. But let, let, because the only reason why I mention that is just because obviously, if you can lose your salvation, then to understand how salvation works and what God does in the midst of all of that. No, 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 no. But reason, and this is the point: we do not understand how salvation work. You know, and, and that's what I'm saying. You, you know, we don't, we can't, we can't go down to the atomic level and to the microscopic level and say this is how it works. You know, we we, we know it on the surface obedience leads to salvation god says it we do it that is salvation but how it actually worked the mechanism the the the, 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 the going down to the microscopic level and say this had to move there so and that moved there so and therefore no 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 you know we we just we know it on the surface level god says it we obey it we are saved and, and and how it's actually working in my soul is irrelevant. I will never understand it ever, ever. In heaven, it will be revealed to me probably if God so desires. But but all I know here on earth, the Lord says, I respond, I obey, he, I, I, I begin to follow. He enables me. He keeps me. He sustains me. You know, and that's that's the level that and that's the. the 
we don't need to go to any kind of philosophical level to try to understand the workings of salvation. We'll never do it. And that's where people, we go astray trying to fathom it. We make ourselves mad trying to fathom those things. Not even the Apostle Paul and the Apostles don't deal with that. They just say, hear the word of the Lord. Respond. What shall we do to be saved? Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Follow the name of the Love the Lord. And this is why we're given the scripture. The things which were written of four times are things for us to learn to follow. We have things to follow. If the things were not written, we would have nothing to follow. You know, and that's why we're given the scripture. We now have something tangible. We now have um, visible examples, visible uh, examples. Remember Job. Remember Remember the, the remember remember the prophets. Remember the righteous men and women of old. This is how they behave. This is how they live. We have their story, and we know how to. We know when the, we know how they went astray. We know what caused them to go astray. We we know those who were successful. What made them successful because they followed the word of the God of God. It's I like Micaiah. With one part of that, um, and the part <laughs> I disagree with is I do think that we can know the mechanism of how salvation mm. works. And the reason I'll say uh, that is no, no, because First yeah. Peter says that when you yeah. become partakers of the divine nature, yeah. that's that's yeah. what salvation is. That yeah, but 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 what I'm saying, yeah, but but yeah, but but you don't know how it works. Well, you know, I'm saying you accept it. We, we accept would say it, but that we don't when know how will, it works. We cannot. When your will joins together in a synergy with God's will, yeah, we say. Well, this is what Augustine says, and he says it in a really nice way. Actually, he says. God, when you have good works, God is crowning his own good works within you. This is what rewards are. This is what synergism is. So when Peter says we are going to become partakers of the divine nature, this is the the Christian orthodox way of uh, uh, the conception of salvation is called theosis, meaning becoming godlike, not by nature as in like when we're not like changing into God, we're not emerging with him but we are yeah. becoming more like him because of grace and mm -hmm. grace True. that comes to you is not created it's uncreated yeah. because it really is yeah. god that is giving you grace not like a thing that he's creating to give to you that's the difference True. between our anthropology i'd say true we are becoming like god but but the point i'm making is that you cannot Oh, listen, listen, you can't, you cannot work it out. <laughs> you, 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 you cannot get down to those level and say, you know, uh, it's almost oh, like yeah, it's a, a mystery digi for sure. Digi digitizing it. That's, that's the point I'm making. You know, of course we're going to become into the divine nature, but how does that happen? Yeah, it's a mystery. Because it's a mystery. Yeah, for sure. it's, exactly. it's a mystery. But then from, from that comment, it sounds as if, as if like, even though there are scriptures that allude to how serotology works in order to, justify your comment i would have to ignore the scriptures that kind of allude to how serotology works so it's like when you're made alive would i have to ignore that to say i don't know how it works that's that true sort of thing. well you don't know so you don't know how it works i, I, I don't agree, know, how I know works, what you're saying but then scripture that. Say, yeah it's, it's like am i ignore do i have to ignore it in order no. to strengthen no you you accept it. That's all. You know, there's a lot of things we're called not not to. We're called to accept the just shall live by faith. That's it. We will never know everything that we need that we desire to know. Not down here. You know. But but let me come back to um to some of the the the, the points that we were making before. And I can't find the exact scripture. It, I think it's um it, it's it's two two chapters in um 
in, in Ezekiel. Um, I think one of them might be Ezekiel 3 and the other one is Ezekiel 33 or something like that. I can't remember. But God makes the, 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 the Jewish people were accusing God of being unjust. And God says, look, let me tell you, you are calling me unjust. Let me show you who is unjust. And God said, this is how I work. If the watchman sees the danger coming and warns the people that the people and if the people respond, I will save them. If they don't respond, they will die in their sin and their blood shall be upon you. But this is the point I want, the bit I want to really get down to is God said, it's not my pleasure. It's not my desire that the righteous should perish, but that they should really come to salvation. So, so God says, look, but let me tell you, you call me unjust. Let me show you how I'm not, I don't just love Brother Paramvir because he's been following me all the days of his life. I tell you, the day that Brother Paramvir changes his views on me, his righteousness will no longer be remembered by me. That's what God says in Ezekiel. So the righteous man cannot boast and say, I'm righteous, therefore I'm righteous. But God says, the day the righteous man turns away from his righteousness and die in his unrighteousness, that is how his righteousness, God says, shall not be counted for him. And he says, if I say to the wicked man that he's going to die and the wicked man turns away from his wickedness, his wickedness shall not be remembered anymore. That's how God, say, God says. So God said, you, you think I'm unjust? Let me show you who is unjust. This, I, I don't just, I cause the rain to shine, to fall upon everybody and the sun to shine upon everybody. You know, if the righteous remain righteous, I you know, and listen, what, listen, when we use these simple words, when we say, if the righteous remain righteous, I am not saying, and we would be stupid, anybody who really believes in God and re really believe in Scripture would be stupid to assume that we mean that, that I, by my strength, remain righteous. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I must, the righteous, righteous means keep on holding on to God, keep on doing the things that God tells you to do. That's what it means. You're continuing, continuing. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not me. It's God. You know, so, so we're not taking that away. But listen, Brother Reese, a couple of things that, um, and I think we're really, um, fighting, um, we're not fighting. We're, cause, cause some of the things that you are defending, are, are challenging are not things that we have said but it's things what those th those um the commentators in in the other two scenarios the calvinists and the other gentlemen were saying so you know and, and I, I actually started i said some of both of them they were they were fallacy on both sides you know um but 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 some of the things that i sort of jotted down here that 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 you you were saying which needs clarification and that's why i have some concerns the way that we have discussions you know otherwise we can just we can just be having discussion and we haven't we haven't buried anything we haven't really um said no that's not right for this reason we just bring in another point another point but we haven't dealt with the first point and that's what i'm saying before we move on to before you can say something you gotta you gotta destroy something else and then you move on so it's it's almost like it's almost like a very scientific way of doing it before you move on to something else you got to eliminate something and i don't think we do that but listen to some of what you said here and i just like to say you say um uh, you said something about nullifying the the work of the cross well no you know you know if 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 i if i backslide i have not nullified i have not nullified the 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 the, the work of the cross i have just 
I've just rejected it. I've nullified it. It is still potent for whosoever will. You know, it's it's me that's um that that's that that's turned back from it. The, 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 the work of the cross is still is still existing. Nothing has diminished from it one one bit. I have turned back from it. I have rejected it. But the cross is not nullified. You know, the work of the cross is not nullified. So you 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 also said um you, you gave a great example. And you said the Holy Spirit um um pricks us. Now 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 <laughs> why does the Holy Spirit Why in the sun does the Holy Spirit prick me? Because I'm not behaving properly, <laughs> you know. Because I'm not doing what He wants me to do, so He pricks me to, to 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 get my attention and to wake me up and to say, "Focus on Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus Christ said. Go and follow Jesus." Christ. That's why the Holy Ghost is pricking me, pricking me, as you say. And and you said it's not just a little prick; it's a it's a quite a vicious juke in the side, if you like, uh, uh, you know, um. You know, our electric shock, if you want to call it, is bringing my, drawing my attention. You're, 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 you're losing soberness. You're falling asleep. Wake up. You know, so, so why, why am I being pricked? Because God wants me to respond. You know, so, so, so here's it. Who's responding? Well, it ain't God that's responding, but God is the mover. God pricks me for me to respond. You know, and one of the things that we kind of get wrong, I think, When we think about salvation, as if to say, human beings have no, no, um, no, nothing going on. Well, I disagree with that. Even the worst sinner has got something of God in them that needs to be that needs to be touched by God again, right? So, so we don't start half with this salvation, as if to say we are we are demons from hell. No, we have the spirit. We have some degree of the essence of God in us that's crying out for the Almighty God. That's why the scripture said the whole creation is groaning. What groaning for what? We don't even know what we're groaning for, but we're groaning, groaning because something, something is missing. Some fundamental thing in us is missing, crying out for the Creator. So I don't think that even the, the basis of sinner don't start off zero. There is something of God there. That needs to be respond. That the Holy Spirit res, re, will, will respond. Will, will, will be touching. So we're not just empty, empty of God totally. You know, there is something there. We are His children. Even the sinners are His children, and there is something there. The image of God. That yeah. God. There's, there's like a there's like a receptor there somewhere. You know, I think the Bible even gives it a name. It might be called, to some extent, the conscience. You know, but it says some men's conscience are seared, as it were, with hot iron. You know, that they it's more difficult for them to to hear clearly what God is saying, or even to respond to it. But let me let me stray again and say. So you said a couple of things that I just want to I just want to pick up on. So so the Holy Spirit pricks us. Why? Because I'm falling asleep, and He's telling me, "Come on, Alfred, you're falling asleep. Keep your eyes on Jesus." You know, he's waking me up. So, but who's waking up? Well, it ain't the Holy Spirit that's waking up. It isn't God that's waking up, but it's God that pricking me to wake up. You know, it's me that falling asleep, and God is calling me back to attention. So, um, so what I'd like to say is that God offers a way of salvation, and this is Old Testament right through. Before God destroys anything, He gives everybody an opportunity to um. To respond, to forsake their way, their evil ways, and to turn and to turn, you know, 
Who knows, peradventure, God may save us. That's what the scripture says. So God offers ways of escape from all, for all who are in the way to hell. And everybody, brother, brothers, I believe everybody, the day we're born, we're on our way to hell. But Jesus comes and he offers us a way out of hell. That's what the scripture says, you know, unless Christ had come and John the Baptist had come and done what they did, the scripture says that that that, that God was going to come and curse the earth with a curse. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that men should not perish, but have eternal life. So if not perish, that means that we were going to be perishing, you know, but God comes to revert that, to change that, you know. Um, here's the problem, Pastor let, Williams. Let, what what yeah. Reese is, by his, I can understand what he's saying, yeah? But mm -hmm. here's what he's saying, yeah? Can salvation be lost, yeah? Yeah. Now, he's giving scriptures where the implication is it can't be lost because otherwise God has failed to be God. And I want to take up that yeah. scripture for you, Reese, because, you know, you, you spoke from John 14, yeah? John 10, 14. You've got to understand Jesus is talking to Jews, yeah? About mm -hmm. the shepherd. And we know the great shepherd of Israel was David, yeah? Uh but I, I want to just point out to you about the sheep and the shepherd, yeah? Relationship. Can this relationship be broken, yeah? Now, he says, I am the, in verse 9, he says, I am the door by me if any man come in. You remember I spoke about the ifs throughout the Bible? In order for us to be his sheep, we have to come in and be saved. He says, if in verse 9, I am the door by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. Okay? The thief, then he goes on about, but here's the point, yeah? He says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. So, that we have a problem straight away. He's talking about sheep, he's talking about hirelings, he's talking about all sorts. But here's, here's my point. Would you say that um, the, the people in the Bible that we know and the Old and New Testament that were following God, but they backslid or they didn't do what God wanted, were they his sheep? Because he, I feel like he's, well, because I don't know whether, the, were you having a question, the question is, he said like, oh, these are my sheep, but there are other sheep that are um, not of this fold. Yeah. Is that a question? No, no, my question is this. Oh, Let's okay. talk about the sheep that are true believers, yeah? Yeah. So... I'm just using an example from the New Testament. Yeah, let me take a couple of examples. Yeah, of where people we have Demas, we have Judas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, was Judas following Jesus? Yes, he was. Was he a sheep? Well, he was declared not clean by Jesus. When? Um, when he went to wash their feet, he said that um, all of you have been um, made clean except for one of you. Yeah. So was he unclean to start with? Yes, he was. So he was never his sheep? No, because he was called the son of perdition. Okay. No, I know you're using scripture for what it's saying, but why was he sending out someone who's not his sheep to send the gospel, preach the gospel then? Because God, well, because Jesus can show, because uh, it's the same argument I had with um, like the fact that, oh, He's giving it to all the 12, like the authority to be able to, um, you know. Why would he give authority over demons to someone who's in sin? Someone who's actually disobedient? Well, it's, it, the question would be, 
um, why was he going to do all these signs to begin with? And the no, thing that's, that's, that. that's prophetic. What I mean is when he had, when he came to Jesus initially, he says he called, gave them the names, he gave them power and authority. Why would Jesus give power and authority to someone who's not his sheep? Because it was to show that he was the son of God. That's implication. That's Can I uh, add something that's in by, uh, Yeah, it's not a, that's that can't be right because why would God choose someone to be an apostle and have a ministry and a bishopric? How can they be a bishop following Jesus, doing all the preaching and teaching that he wanted? Judas did all of those things. But by and by, he gave up. He did not follow Jesus. He, he turned into perdition. He wasn't perdition from the... We say he was the son of perdition, yes. But you'll notice there was a chance where he could... He, cho he made a choice. And as time went by, you'll notice him moving away from Jesus. My point is this, any Christian can fall into that trap. And the funny thing, the funny thing is you talk about Judas making a choice there. And when he saw that there is, um, whatever is, um, whatever he was trying to achieve, when he saw that it backfired. He repented. His choice changed. Yeah. You know, you know he went to, to try to do reparation, you know, by giving back the money and say, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. Yeah. You know, the only sad thing about it, he didn't go back to Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, and ask for forgiveness. He went and killed himself. And in this way, he's a, a classic representation of the first Adam. When Adam was yeah. in the garden, instead of when God came to him and said, who ate the apple? Instead of saying, um, it was me, God, please forgive me. He went, it was her. It was her. Right. So Judas is replaying uh, an action of mm -hmm. Adam. But also mm -hmm. I want to add something extra in um and this is something that's interesting and it comes from islam right and and i know you know people don't really know much about this but this is really important so in islam they have a hadith which means like an extra writing and it goes like this and by the way this is all complete rubbish none of this happened right it says uh narrated by some guy uh Adam and Moses argued with each other. Moses said to Adam, Oh, Adam, you are our father who disappointed us, who turned us out of paradise. Then Adam said to him, Oh, Moses, Allah favored you. And he wrote the Torah for you with his own hand. Why do you blame me for the action which Allah has written in my fate 40 years before my creation? Can you see that predestination there? That is... That is exactly what Calvin does. He says that there are some people who are born to live eternally and some people who are born to die. And the, why does God do this in, in Calvin's um, view? Because God is trying to show as a play to all humans his mercy. It's like he's trying to show off his power. He's not because because what Calvinism and Islam both do is they make the supreme attribute uh, uh, of God into power rather than love. If the supreme mm. attribute of God is love, then um, when he's um, interacting with humans, he's willing, he's trying to open a door to you to choose a certain path, but he's never going to overcome because if you just think about like a normal human relationship, if you overcome somebody's will, are you 
are you actually loving them or are you forcing them? It's, it's like they're under duress, right? They're like a hostage. So this is why Martin Luther, when he wrote his, uh, one of his books is called The Bondage of the Will. And Martin Luther says that man is, is an ass either to be ridden by God or by the devil, which is an incorrect view of how human anthropology works. Like we have a will, God has a will. If both wills are participating, meaning, and, and the, I'm not just like using the word participating because I want to, it's actually in the Greek, like synergy is in the Bible in Greek and koinonia is in the Bible in, uh, in Greek. Koinonia means participation. If, if our will and God's will are, part, are participating, we have life because that's what life is to, part, to be in union with God. Because the further you move away from God, that's, that's what death is, moving away from God. The closer you get to God, that's what life is. So the only way to get life is to participate within, with, it, with God. That's why when Jesus talks about the Father, he says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. They're put participating with each other. Now, when uh, we talk about, some, there's something called the ecumenical councils, right? which are a bunch of these councils that came out of the first century of Christianity. In the sixth council, there's um, something known as uh, the monothelite um, controversy, which is where some, uh, some of the people thought that Jesus only had one will, not two wills. So they thought that he was only a human, basically. That's, that's the implication, or that he's only God. That, that's, that's what it does, right? Now, in the sixth council, what they say is if i just bring it up they say we glorify two natural operations energies indivisibly immutably unconfused inseparately the word namely doing that which pertains to the word and the flesh that which pertains to the flesh this explains the agony in the garden why he says the flesh is weak but the spirit is willing and he's like it's if if uh if we only have monogism meaning only one will then when Jesus is doing that thing where he's saying, I'm, I'm weak, and he's like, you know, showing weakness in his human nature, it's a blameless passion. But when he does that, what's the point of that? That's like, a, he's just doing a play if, if he's doing that. Because if he's, if he's predestined, then there's no need for him to show any weakness, right? He could just, he's fine. So there has to be two wills that work together, because if there's not, then you actually change who Jesus is. I know that sounds kind of weird, but if you say that Jesus only has one will, because that's what the implication is with predestination, then it changes how we participate with God. There is no participation. God's overcoming us, and he's basically taking us as a hostage. That's different. That's not what the, the, the Bible says. And that's just from outside of the Bible. There's plenty of scriptures that back this up. Don't want to. I was finishing off, yeah. <laughs> so, so let me just finish off with these two points because they're they're a little bit like questions, really. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the, the, the one until last. Um, but the other the one is um, it's something that you said earlier, Brother Reese. Um, and it's um, You are, it's it was almost like um, you you were you, you you the interpretation that I think you were giving to some of probably what what 
we were saying is that, um, okay, regarding the salvation, Jesus Christ does something and then the salvation somewhat is not complete. We must then do something. But, but, um, but I don't think that is that I don't think that that reflects properly to what we're saying. You know, our, what what we're saying and what I definitely am saying, I'm saying that it's not that Jesus has done something. And then we must do something. To make that salvation complete. What it is, is that Jesus has called us. To have faith, to be obedient, and to trust him, for example. And that's what we do. God does it all. He gives the, is the sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is everything. And all we have got to do, it's not that we do something. We respond to what he has done. You know, we trust, we follow. We follow in his footsteps. The footsteps not ours. The doctrines are not ours. The blood that was shed is not ours. The Holy Spirit that's given is not ours. But we are following the things that he says. Obey me. You know, you know, uh, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. You know, that's what we're doing. We're obeying him. You know, so so um the salvation is given by God. And what it's like and how a gift is given. And how you've got you've got it. I give you a gift. You ain't got it until you stretch your hand out and take it from me. You know, and that's what God has done. He's given us a gift, the gift of salvation. Have it, receive it. You know, we've got to, we've got to take it. And I believe, I, I would suggest that being obedient, trusting, following him is accepting that gift. You know, so that's, that's the point I would like to make. But the final point that I wanted to make was, you know, so, you know, um, in I listen, I'm listening to you, Brother Reese, and to be honest, you know, 99% of what you're saying, you're saying the same thing that we're saying, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, you're saying the same thing that we're saying, you know. But so, one other thing that I'm gonna ask is that so, so what does one save always saved because that's that was that's the umbrella that i was going under really that there's a concept that people believe that once you're saved you always save nothing nothing can happen to to make you not saved anymore once you've been declared saved so so my, my my question was so what does one save always save look like what does it look like on the ground what does it look like on a day-to-day -day basis um on a day-to-day -day basis so essentially it would again it's a lot of the things that are, are similar to um what you're saying in the sense that once um once god saves you in terms of he you know obviously like the things i said before obviously like he regenerates you and all the the things that happen in the midst of all that um the holy spirit dwelling within you you have that um so, 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 what, what, what I mean is, is not what the Holy Spirit is doing, but what are you doing? What, what are you living out? What are you living out, and what are you not living out? You know, what are you doing? So that's what, that's what I mean. This is now where, where, where you put into practice your belief. Oh, so the belief is, yeah. So essentially, yeah. Um, I am battling sin all day, every day. Um, that, 
and will continue until um, the glorification stage. That's going to happen right throughout. Um, I am being sanctified as I go through my life. So I will not be the same Reese as I was yesterday. You will see You're how God is with Is your will involved in that? Yes, it is. Because the, the, the thing about the will, it's like God the, doing that for you, or are you doing it? It's, it's working together. Because obviously, like the, we said, the 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 flesh is weak and the the, the spirit is willing. So that's what we will. So you started when God saved you. He did all the work, but now you're helping him. No, no. It's because you said like, your will is involved. Yeah, he is involved in the sense that. Um, well, I guess because um, I'm trying to get my head around like the will thing, like. Look, understanding the concept, of, and it might be it might be like a straw man um, in the sense that the way I see a will, um, it's not necessarily a free will, but it's a will that um, is tied in one of two things. So when you're a, when you're you're dead in sin, you're a slave to sin. So you make choices, but it's generally bound to being in a sinful state. But once you're regenerated, you then can pull because you're not a slave for Christ. So then your pull is towards making decisions and um, making plans in accordance to God's word and what pleases him. And through that, those fruits are being bared and being conformed to the, um, so the likeness of Christ. Of Hebrews tells us that let us therefore fear, lest the primitive promise of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So if those people are struggling like the Hebrews, once they've been regenerated, they're working with God with the will that you described, Paul is here, the writer is telling, let's fear, lest we don't make it, lest we come short of it. And he goes on to say, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice of sins. That's the kill shot, I would say. <laughs> that, that scripture there is pretty much the one that kind of kills once saved, always saved. The whole of the book of Hebrews is warning to Christians that they can, just like the Jews, he warns, don't think, don't fall into the same error of the Jews thinking that they were predestined to be God's people because they were hey, born. Just... Even, so I can give you scriptures from John the Baptist who you, who you spoke about. He says, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. Why is he telling them to repent? Because they thought that they, um, like he says, like, um, because they thought uh, they were predestined. They were God's people. Because, they were, that because yes. it was a, um, wasn't it to do with the fact that they were, uh, they were the children of Abraham? Yeah, children. yeah, yeah. So, so it's the fact that because Abraham's done it, they thought they've inherited it. No, like, no it's very they much. They had a genetic right. Yeah, yeah, yeah same thing. Yeah, yeah. Has no spiritual right. Yeah, it's no, we, we agree on that. We agree on that. Yeah, I was saying no, that. Is this? Yeah, repentance is necessary. Yeah, not just entering into the kingdom. Yeah, you're not guaranteed. Once you've stepped through that door, that you can't fall. The whole book of Hebrews is telling you you can fall. So with the... Because you're born of, of, as, as a Christian, that you can't go back into the world. They were going back into the world. That's what the whole writing of the book of Hebrews is, warning Christians that persecution is coming. It's very easy to slip as Jews into the world and go back into the synagogue. You have fallen from Christ. Galatians, the Galatian Christians had fallen from grace. You said that, I said earlier that grace is resistible. And I'm giving you scriptures. 
Who hath Paul warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says, then he says, who has elbowed you to the Galatians? You have fallen from grace. You need to be born again. I have to travail for you. They had fallen into sin. So when, know, I'll have to make note of your things and have a look at those. But it's just yes. a case where, like with, yeah. when it comes to, to Hebrews, where they understand the, the, the historical context of that, is obviously you've got the, um, the it's Hebrew not Christians. History. It's not histories. No, no, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, in terms of, like, the, um, like the overall context, because um, initially when I, when I um, came to the idea of unsaved adults, and it's not even when I, I was like, oh, you know what, I was just reading read, read through um, Hebrews and it said something like, oh, you know, those who once tasted and such um, and experienced the... Um, you will find a hundred telling you the opposite view, supporting predestination by twisting the scriptures. There are people who will go... So the implication is when you follow a line of tradition, like Roddy, let's take uh, Roddy Bochum, yeah? A great preacher, yeah. a great man of God, standing up, yeah? Mm. But in his some of his thinking, he's alluding to the fact that of, uh, eternal security. I have no problem with eternal security as long as I'm holding on to Jesus. The moment I let go, I'm no longer secure. If I was drowning, when, which I was in sin, Jesus stretched out his hand, I stretched out my hand. Now, if I didn't stretch out my hand, how could I have been saved? I did my part, he did his part. When, I, when he brought me out, can I say that my will was involved? Of course my will was involved because I had to stretch out my hand. Stretching out the hand on to it. is crying out, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can never be saved by God unless with your mouth you confess he is Lord. You believe and, in your and that's heart. What I was, and that's what I'm saying, Brother Paramvir, you know, and, and I, I think even the um, even the the, 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 um, the gentleman in the scripture who the Bible talked about was um, was possessed with legion. I Every time I read that, and I and I, he was in the to, he was in, in the grave, in the tomb, cutting himself and screaming, and the man was screaming out, crying for something that was missing, something that was he was he was he was crying out, but there was none to help him, and Jesus went there. I believe Jesus, just like oh, just like oh, God would say to um to 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 Cain. Your brother's blood is screaming to me from the ground. God heard this demonic possessed man screaming out for his maker, but have no, he, as much as he was possessed, there was something in him screaming out for his maker. And Jesus went and delivered him from, from his oppression. You know, um, you know, you, you know, um, the apostle Paul gives us a, a very wonderful, um, um idea about that will thing you know and and, and before i would uh, before i even read that um i might not even read it um, um you know but um let's go back you know to this will well it is obvious i think it's, it's undeniable that adam and eve had will and they uh, and they followed their will they they utilized their will you know to to disobey god i think that is that is irrefutable but I would even go further. It would appear that the angels in heaven have also got wills as well. And, and Lucifer used his will 
to disobey God and to rebel against God. You know, so somehow the divine nature of God creates within us will. We're going to have to ask him, you know, some people say, God, why didn't you just make us into robots? That's a very that that's a very reductionist um argument there there so it lacks it lacks you know it's almost like why didn't you make us into a robot and 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 you know, that we just blindly do everything that that would show none of the supremacy of god if god just wired us to do one thing only you know um you know so um so 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 the angels can sin the apostle paul speaks in romans i think 7 and he says He says, "Look, I'm in a predicament here. To will, to will, the ability to will, to to think, to think, to have, to to think is present with me, you know. But how to do the things which is right? He says, I don't know. I'm. That's what I'm wrestling with, you know. I have the will. With one mind, I want to serve God, and with another mind, I I want to please myself. He says, so the will, the will." is present with me but i but i need some help and then he goes on he says i thank god for jesus christ was given me the victory so 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 the scripture would say if our conscience condemns us god is greater or uh, greater than our conscience you know um or if our spirit or whatever condemns us god is greater than that you know and this is where it shows you know um you know god is greater the apostle Paul said i know what i should be doing and i confess the fact that i'm struggling here that something is right and something is wrong the apostle said i know and why why is this struggle why is the struggle going on because we've been given the law the law causes us to struggle yeah it can't save us but it causes us to struggle because now we know right from wrong we know what is we know something is wrong we know something is right and now we are struggling but the law can't save us and then the apostle Paul say i thank god through jesus christ our lord who has come to give me the victory over this struggle over this this will problem he comes to give me direction he comes to give me he comes to give me help support he comes to usher the holy spirit to walk beside me and 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 to to navigate me you know so so you know we we have will and um and you know and 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 that's why Jesus said not my will but thy will be done so so we want the will of god to be done and not our will we've got will we've got rebellious wills but not my will but thy will be done thy will be done on earth as it in heaven you know and that's what we want to happen let's will to the end as we first willed in believing in Jesus the scripture is telling us to use that will daily daily yeah don't put that will aside thinking i'm saved forever that will lead us into sin work out your salvation you may believe yeah yeah work out your salvation with fear and trembling you may believe that you say this i don't have a problem if you believe that what i i mean if you know jesus and you love jesus we can have misunderstandings of, of scripture we can be powerful mighty men of god and have like peter and have misunderstandings yeah that's not the issue i mentioned jesus from the beginning yeah and i'd like to end on jesus it was okay can i yeah emily has posted a question here sure. and the question is um can both side answer this question what makes someone choose god good question um can i i'll go first with that one um essentially when we were created <clears throat> because we have the image of god 
the only way that a human can be 100% human, 100% feel their potential is if they're in union with God. That is the true purpose of what it is to be human, is to be united with God, right? When you remove that uh, participation and you move further away from God, the body naturally begins to um, feel like um, something's missing, right? And this is this is what sin is. Uh, we we believe in something called secondary causation, which means as a natural outcome of you moving further away from God, bad evil can occur. Now you can be reached by evil, right? So the only way um, that someone can um, be brought to God is God will keep constantly keep uh, basically giving you like a, an arm. He'll keep handing out his arm to you. He'll keep handing it out. This is what grace is. He keeps sending grace to you over time. If you if your conscience gets seared, meaning that if you keep living in sin, this is what hardening of heart means. You're moving further away from God and God can actually move further away from you if you refuse to keep to grab on to his grace. So grace is like the main thing that causes um, humans to to latch on to God, right? So God's constantly holding out his arm to you. He keeps giving you. Now, he can give you lots of grace, which is a very strong urge, right? He's giving you a, a really loads of grace so that you can see like, oh, my gosh, there is no God but the but the Trinity, right? Or over time, if you keep rejecting him, he can just move away. This is what it means when he says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He moved away from him. He stopped offering the grace to him. So ultimately, yes, it's God offering grace to you. That's that's what um, brings you towards. But you obviously you have to synergize with that. And that's when you can truly become human and even go past that through theosis, meaning partaking of the divine nature so you can go past adam because adam wasn't fully up to his potential that's that's why um yeah that's that's the whole point of the story is that adam hadn't fully reached his potential if uh the that's why the, the incarnation is plan a and not plan b when uh if you look in genesis adam was kind of like immature right um and also he was he was at the level of being an uncorrupted human, but what, what what God wanted to do is He wanted to unite with humanity anyway, to have a closer union with man. So the incarnation was always the plan, but because of Adam's sin, now you have Jesus coming and paying and appropriating all of our life. To to the, the, you get what I'm saying though, right? This it's it's a grace and a grace and a synergy. That's that's the main the main thing. God uh, stretches out his hand, you latch on. That's that's it. Yeah, and and I think and I think and I think the important thing that that you've mentioned is what I alluded to initially to say that well earlier to say that um, you know um, where sometimes I think we make a mistake um, in, in in the salvation process is that we see something here one hundred percent man. Which almost as if he's, he, God has nothing to do with that person, you know, um, and 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 so and so therefore, therefore, um, if that person responds to God, um, it's almost as if to say it, it must therefore be um, God on this side doing everything. However, God was already in man 
God was already have some activity going on in man from the from the from the day of creation. So God is calling out to God in man. You know, you know, God is calling out to that which is which is sleeping in man. You know, um, you you know, and God is quickening him. And I think that's a lovely one. The scripture says Jesus Christ was made a quickening spirit. You know, and quickening is to is to give life to that which to that which is dead or sleeping. You know, you know, um, to prick it up. I think Brother Brother Reese used the word the Holy Spirit pricks us. Wake up, come alive. You know, and 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 because God is our Father, it's like it's like we are the we're always His children. When He wakes us up, you know, um, some people, some of us will want to respond to Him, and alas. Some will not want to respond to him, you know. So some respond to him, um, you know. When when mo mo when mommy or daddy calls, some of the children respond to them, and some of them turn their back and want to go and do their own thing, you know. I think there's a similarity there there in 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 that sister Emily, you know. But um, but obviously, you know, what one mistake I think we must not make is to see man as an abject void. With no ability to respond to God, no man always has an ability to respond to God. You know, and 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 that is how we were created. The whole purpose of man, he was created to serve God. That means it was in him to serve God, and to not to serve God is a deliberate act of rebellion. That's what rebellion is. You know what you should do, and you decide not to do it. That's what rebellion is. So man has the capacity to rebel against God. Just to add to that quickly as well, John five twenty one, the word for raises. If you actually read the Greek, it says egere, which is energy. It's to energize. He energizes the dead. So this is what energy just means working will. So he's willing, he's energizing you to be alive. So humans also have a, have an energy. The both energies must synergize together. This is what it says in the Greek. I'm not just saying it to sound fancy. That is what the scripture says in the original language. I think Reese, you you'd probably want to answer that as well, just to keep it fair. No, no, if you want to go ahead, because um, I guess it's, it'll be fair well, that all of us do it. And the then... only thing I would say is that the arm of the Lord that Andre was talking about is Jesus. Isaiah tells us, who, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, it's revealed to everyone. Everybody knows about the cross. But not everyone is responding because they have a free will and a free choice. Uh, and and you know you know if I if I would go back again you know because because I will always be keep on banging on about this um you know the Bible the Bible the Bible what does the Bible say what does the Bible say because if the Bible doesn't say anything for us to respond to that the Bible is rubbish and that and if the Bible is rubbish then I would say my salvation is rubbish because it is through the Scripture that I get to know God you know um. So, so, so here's the here's the thing. The things which are written the four times are written for our learning, whatever they be. Let's go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. God Himself went down there to preach to them, <laughs> and they were ready to rape Him. Yeah, if you, if you take my, take 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 my take my language as coarse as it might sound, you know. Um, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was preach. He was preaching to the people, just as how Noah responded to God. The people could have responded to God, but they chose not to. 
And then the Bible says, so Noah, he was, he became the judge of the whole world during the time of the flood because he found grace in the sight of God. You know, in other words, what did Noah find? The Bible, I love, I love this. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. That would suggest to me that there was no one knew of God. Noah also had um, a receptor, spiritual receptor that could recognize, that could communicate, that could acknowledge, that could love, that could follow, that could deal with God. And Noah found grace in the sight of God. It's like it's like a child. Look at mommy and daddy and love mommy and daddy. They don't know. They just love them. Noah, they find grace in the in the eyes of mommy and daddy. And the mommy and daddy, can they find grace in the child? Well, I will suggest they can. When the child pleases mommy and daddy, mommy and daddy find grace also in the in the high in the child. You know, and I think that. That, that 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 you know, and there's a synergy. You used you kept on using the word synergy because the Bible talk about God finding grace in 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 Noah. Noah finding grace in God. It doesn't just say it one way; it's a two way thing. His Bible speaks about Moses as well. Mo, God, Moses said to God, God, you said you found you found um you found grace in me, you know. And God and God said, I have found grace in you. It's a synergy, you know. It's not a one way thing. But why is it? What what's the beautiful thing about it here? And yes, what well, we can say, it is all God, because God placed the initial seed of synergy, of response, of grace in us, and we respond. So you, so, so the parents, you show love to the child. You are the mover of love, and the child reciprocate that 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 by wanting to hug you, by wanting to smile at you every time they see you, wanting to hug you, wanting to suck your breast, mommies. Thank you. <laughs> the last thing I'd like to add, um, and this is more of a historical thing, because we are talking about something that's historical, right? Calvinism. Once saved, always saved. This is not divorced from history. We have to talk about the cultural, um, what was happening culturally at, at the time in um, Geneva and uh, in, in, the, in the Dutch colonies, right? So the canons of Dort, which are like, so, you know, how you have the Council of Jerusalem in the Bible. They have a council in uh, Dort, which is, um, I think it's Netherlands. And this is where they lay out all of the doctrines of Calvinism. What happens in this? Um, well, what's happening during this time is you have the scientific revolution, which is nothing else but a rejection of God. Right. So already people's minds, their noose, their heart, the law in their hearts, that's being hardened. Secondly. You have, and I don't, I hate to bring this up, but you have colonialism going on, right? So you have this idea that there are preservation of favored races. So this is the original name of Darwin's uh, book on the origin of species and the preservation of uh, favored races, right? This is intertwined with theology. So at the time you have the scientific revolution going on. So what happens is you have predestination coming out of this. So if you want to talk about, oh, a lot of people might say, oh, Christianity, that's a white man religion. No, Calvinism is a white man religion. And a lot of Protestantism, that's just me here, but a lot of Protestantism is a white man religion. If you go to the Middle East, if you go to Jerusalem, if you go to these places, 
they don't believe in these things like predestination and unconditional election, things like that. No, they have the, the Old Testament understanding, the Hebrew understanding, which is, it's synergistic, you know? That's just how it is. I mean, that's the last thing I'll say, but that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and the last thing that I will say is because you you, you mentioned um, Darwinism and those stuff. Um, there is a there is a, a very very interesting book that's written um, called The Death of God, and it's actually um, dealing with the with all the industrial revolution and all those things. Why people basically. Um, turn against God, turn away from God, science and all those things. Um, one-sided science, what I say, I wish that's a one-sided interpretation of science that caused people to turn away from, from God. Now, then here is where the Christians um, sometimes fall prey to the world culture and the world view is that the Christians sometimes try to respond, not listening from God, not seeking God, but using their own intellect and their own mind. to. So, so there's this thing, the death of God. This is what was going on. People believe God is dead. He's no longer, we don't, we don't um, believe him. We don't, uh, we're not in awe of him like in previous generation. So during this time, it is the death of God. And this guy wrote this book. I, I, I can't remember what, what his name is. Priestly or something like that. I can't, can't remember. I think it is. Now, but now the Christian must respond. But they don't seek God. They don't go back to scripture for response. They tried to um, accommodate the thinking of science and philosophy to rationalize and to come to some sort of an agree, uh, agreement. So in other words, God looks like a very drastic God. He looks like a barbaric God. That's what Richard Dawkins called him, the barbaric, the messagistic God, the brute, the, 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 the killer, the, the, the genocider. You know, that's what um, um, Richard Dawkins calls him. Yeah. So, so, so the, the church, the Christian, the bishops, their response is to try to see how they could amalgamate these ideas and things, you know, to give God a sort of a modern day feel so that he doesn't look like the strong, the mighty, the powerful, thou shalt not, thou shalt, you know. So they try to nullify God, reduce him to fit into man's philosophical way of thinking and idea. You know, so God... God, so God becomes not the God that demands salvation anymore. It's almost like the God that say, do your best, do the best you can, you know, um, and everything will be all right. That's that's what the Church of England, the Catholic Church and, and these um, some of these um, these churches, they're no more than that. You don't really have to be passionate for God. You don't have to be, be, be beating yourself up to be righteous. You don't have to, to you don't have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You just have to work it out, but not with fear and trembling. But fear and trembling, as I always say, because there is consequence if you get it wrong. Thank you. I will try to answer Emily's question. And then um, while watching the YouTube feed, there's a few things on there that I guess we can 
wind up with um, like questions and uh, some things that I'll filter out. But uh, just in regards to um, the question that I can, like with, it, with everything said, like I think I mentioned even before this, um, we started this debate, like there was video sent and all the sorts of things. It's like, as much as it might be okay, I can look into those sorts of things. Like um, I just want to literally just draw from scripture to see like how much of it's like, okay, so, so with all the things that like you consider with every denomination, like we consider with the Pentecostalism, like there's all these sorts of things that go on. But even with those things, like we still say, oh, you know, we're Pentecostal. So it's like, um, with it, like in terms of like, with the scripture, in terms of like, um, what Emily's question was, which I'll just check, it was like, um, to, what makes someone choose God? Well, again, it's just my mind, again, comes back to the, um, Again, it's, and it's not me like trying to enforce, oh, you know, Calvin's and Calvin and Calvin is, but like, John Calvin means nothing to me. <laughs> he didn't mean nothing to me. I can see that yeah, obviously they use the, the category of Calvinism to say that, oh, these are the doctrines that they generally believe, but that means nothing to me in the sense that I was just literally just like, what is scripture saying about these sorts of things? So I didn't come to the idea that like, oh, let me just see what other denominations look cool. Oh, this one sounds cool. I'll go with that and I'll check to see what it's going to say. I'm seeing all these things through scripture and you begin to ask the questions and you peel from other ways, um, other places and things like that. Like I was mentioning earlier with um, regards to like Hebrews, like when I first stumbled on what could be like this, um, this thing about the eternal security, I pulled um, that thing, uh, that scripture out of Hebrews where it says like, you know, once you have tasted all sorts of, I thought that, oh, look, these are scripture that says you can't do salvation. Then I was corrected to find that, no, look at the historical context of what was this was written in. They're talking to Hebrew Jews who are in the midst of, um, you know, they're no longer partaking in um, Jewish culture in terms of like the, the Yom Kippur and the the, um, the, um, the sacrifices and things like because obviously Jesus has done it all. But you've got Jews who are coming in to draw them back to the temple, fully well knowing that Jesus prophesied that, you know, this temple is going to be destroyed. <laughs> it's not going to be needed anymore. It's going to be laid waste. And they've been drawing back to that. And I realized, oh, you know, I've taken that scripture out of context. I've taken it out of context. And I mentioned it on the, the podcast when I was um, like discussing things that we did in terms of um, interpretation. That I can't just grab stuff and go, yeah, this means this and such and such. Like, if you're looking deeper, there's something behind it all. Um, but even with that said, it's just like, again, walking through like Ephesians where it says, um, and Paul's talking to Ephesians and he says, um, I'm highlighting it also, just making I haven't touched stuff. So I'll go from verse three, which is like, blessed be to the God. Um, this is from Ephesians one, verse three. So blessed be, um, be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly place. And even as, um, even as he has a chosen, chosen, chose us before the foundation of the world that me by beholding and blameless before him, he has predestined us to, um, us for adoption, um to himself as sons through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will to the, the praise and the glorious of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in our um in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to uh, the riches of his grace which is lavished lavished upon us in a um, in all wisdom and insight making known to the mystery of his will according um to his purpose which is set forth in christ as a plan as um for the fulfillment of time to unite us uh, to unite all things in him 
in heaven, uh, the things in heaven and things on earth. Um, and I think it goes on to, yeah, in him uh, we have obtained an inheritance and be destined according to um, the purpose of his will, uh, of, uh, of him who works in all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were um, the first to hope in Christ might be the praise and his glory. And it's just like, okay, so there's all this thing of like, you know, um, God reaching out to us. Um, but then it's like, oh, well, um, it, with regards to like, you know, if, how does it work if, um, and reject him, it's like, it could be forgot to John 10, where it's like, well, we've already talked about, um, so I won't go through it all, but obviously like, we understand that, you know, Jesus is a good shepherd, he draws those, um, 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 to the, you know, that um, my sheep come to me and all those sorts of things, when they say, oh, you know, um, we want you to, they say, um, do want to kind of like speak things clear, it's like, you know, this thing's not making sense to us, it's like, well, you're not my sheep. If you if you were my sheep, you would know these things, but you're not my sheep. And it's like, well, is it is it on them or is it because God has drawn them to him? It's just, it's like looking at these scriptures in, like putting them all together, it's like you hear the, the ones in like Romans that, you know what, no one seeks for God. Okay, so if we are um, if we are dead, like I think Emily mentions, like can you wake up a dead person or is it just a sleeping person? If we are, I, I think Paramvi mentioned that, you know, you were drowning in sin. If you're drowning, you're still alive. That's great. But then Paul is saying that you're dead in sin. We know that the dead don't do anything. They're dead. But then we also know that Jesus attested to the fact that he can raise people from the dead. Both literally and spiritually. The so, will is not dead, though, Rhys. Oh, oh no! But then I've, I've said that obviously the will the is bound into. But the will. Yeah, is... yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, totally. Um, that's, yeah, um, but then it's like, yeah, with the will, it's yeah, because we're spiritually dead, it's it's tied to sin. But then obviously God brings us to life, and then it's in Him that our will is embedded. Obviously, we still sin. We see that sort of thing in Scripture, like again, by said with Paul, but. Um, that becomes a war rather than an indulgence. So, so it's, does God make us believe by his will? God made us believe by his will, yeah. Does he make us believe by the Holy Spirit? He restores us, because that's how no, it was. The, we're saved by faith, yeah? Yeah. Does he make us believe and makes others not believe? Does he leave some to believe? He chooses some divinely to believe, but others... No. See, because is... he's God, he has a choice. He chooses whom he wants. So he says, that one over there, I will choose him. That one over there, no, I won't choose him. Does Is that what God is doing? Again, we'd have to go because back to scripture. Because the two gentlemen, okay, I see all three of you before me. You're all, let's say, in sin. Your will is totally depraved. Yeah? You have no control. I will sovereignly choose whom to save. And I choose Pastor Alfred, let's say. But the other two, I'm sorry. I divinely know that you're not going to be, you're not going to make it. I'll choose him. And I'll keep him, of course, because he's my sheep. Doesn't matter what he does on a Sunday or a Saturday or a Monday, but he's my sheep. Yeah. And the thing I would say with that is just like, if, if you're alluding to the you know, God is being unjust for saving somebody yeah, he is absolutely um, being unjust if god chooses and sends people yeah, well okay well, if that's the case if that's the case that we're going with then um are we saying that we aren't deserving of the punishment so i've done something wrong 
I'm in your court. You know that I've broken your laws. I've broken your laws. I can say, you know, but I've done all these good things. No, no, God made you break the laws, Reese. No, no, I'm not saying that God made made you do it. No. Because your will can't do anything. You're depraved. You're in total depravity. God decides. You are going to hell because he sovereignly chose you. That means if you don't believe, if God allows people to believe, that means he chooses for others not to believe. That means he's sending them, he has created them for destruction. He has predestined them to destruction. That's what predestination is. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Uh, there is a scripture that... um, Romans 9. They loose that, so it's like how would how do we how do we interpret that then? It's not what you think what, 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 what's Roman nine? What, um, let me check. Well, well I, think I, the yeah, thing I don't is want to that... because obviously we've got um, the other questions to, to go for, but I'll see if we can. So, 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 so regarding that question, that then, um, Reese, um, let, let me um, let me throw in again a little bit in there with using um, a book that's written by Josh McDowell, yeah. Now, the title is so beautiful, and the book is so beautiful because of what the book is is, is doing. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. In other words, the evidence that's presented in in his book concerning Jesus Christ and him being the Son of God and him being being a real, real person, all the prophecies and everything about Jesus Christ being so real, so irrefutable his book is called evidence that demands a verdict so the guy's saying look i'm presenting to you this evidence and even the fool that reads this book it demands of him to make a verdict concerning what i've written and i would suggest that jesus christ when he came on this earth and when he presented himself to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jews and everybody, that was evidence that demanded a verdict from men. But they still choose, they chose to reject him. But the, but, but the evidence was there. So here's the thing about it. God made us reasonable human beings. That's how he made us. He made us reasonable human beings. And, and, and reasonableness is something that comes from God. That's the gift from God. That's part of God in us. Reasonableness. And when reasonable people hear the reasonable verdict of the Son of God who came and manifested himself and demonstrated himself to be the Son of God, to be that prophet that Moses spoke about, the people still rejected him. Even when he showed them unconditionally irrefutable that he rose the dead they said we know that no no man can do these things unless god be with him yet they crucified him yeah and when he rose from the dead yet they told lies that he did not rise from the dead they were reasonable people but they chose to be unreasonable the bible says they suppressed the truth in lies you know they were unreasonable they were willfully ignorant so 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 god puts before everybody when you preach when we preach what are we doing we're presenting a reasonable discourse a reasonable argument to people 
And the Spirit of God is there hovering around them with what is being said. With, and the Spirit of God is working on their heart and basically probably saying, Is not this reasonable? Are you hearing this? Are you hearing what the Word of God is saying? Is, not, not, is this not reasonable? Are you not going to respond to it? You know, what's going on? The Word of God is not independent of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is working with the Word in our hearts and in our lives. And reasonable people respond unreasonable people does not respond. Richard Dawkins said something. Even if you were to come and to convince him that there was a God, he said he still would not believe God. That's an unreasonable. The fool have said in their heart that there is no God. Some, what, where, where does that come from? The fool makes a choice. The fool makes a decision based on no evidence, but just ignorance and arrogance and desire not to have Anybody sit above them call God. Okay. Um, there's something you mentioned that I thought, like, oh, you know, might be good to. So there's what I just said um, in regards to, to earlier. And I will finish with this and then obviously we'll move to the questions because I don't want to keep us all here too long. Um, but like I said, yeah, there are scriptures that kind of allude to, you know, some are saved, some are chosen to be saved, some are destined, for, uh, some are destined to be saved, some are destined to be. Um, um, Destined for destruction, and and also I have to make it I have to make it clear that we are all deserving of it. We're all deserving that we're all born in sin, so we're all deserving of it. But obviously, it's grace that because yeah, because of love and grace of God that He's chosen to some to save people. He's He's chosen to intervene. But that would um, be some yeah. But but but, but he, he chose to intervene for all. Well, yeah. But I'll I'll, I'll go through these scriptures and then um, we'll. Move on from there, and I'll, I'll I'll say no more. We can leave it up to to guys to kind of choose um, what side is which. Um, but the first one is um, from First Peter, two uh, verses four to ten. So it says, "As you come to Him, the Living Stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God, um, and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are um, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." But it's in the scripture that um, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, uh, this will be Jesus, and one who, um, and the one who trusts in him will never, put to be, uh, will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who don't believe, the stone uh, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that um, causes people to stumble and a rock that causes men, uh, causes, oh, sorry, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also um, what they were des uh, destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you, but out of darkness, in, um, called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You, um, you were once... You uh, once you were not a people, but you are now a people um, of God. You once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then to go back to Judas, um, you got John seventeen verse twelve. It says, um, "While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me." None has been lost except for the one who was doomed for destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. And the last one um, is from 
Philippians 3 verses 18 to 20 in regards to uh, the enemies of the cross being destined for destruction, where it says, For I have told you uh, before, and now I will tell you again with tears. Many will live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's I, I'm not trying to say, like, oh, you know, covers up, but how do I, how would I interpret those scriptures in light like, of the What you, there's something in there you've missed. It says, for those who believe, those who disobey, there was a choice involved. The moment they choose to disobey, the moment they choose not to obey the message, they end up in those categories. And the moment they choose, they end up being precious and elect. This is what you're, you're the scripture, that's what Peter said. For those who believe, and for those who don't, they end up in the yeah, But then I'm, I'm reading what, those scriptures in light of the other scriptures. So um, it's, it's a case where you see like these running themes and it's like, once you can deal them together, is it a case where it's, you can fall in and out of it obviously because I think the justification would be the biggest part that would cause that, or is it, um, well, I guess like in terms of, like we mentioned before, like the, the sanctification process where it's like, it peaks and troughs, you know, you get better, you fall in other places, you no, get better. That's, you your, that's your will. But yeah, but like, it's, it's up like, we're saying, no, that's you, it's that's not Christ like, causing it to do that. No, I'm not saying it's, it's, but it's, it's the implications of the, the two sides. So like, I'm just reading scripture in, like, in general, and then these things, Obviously, so, oh, okay, you come across. The, but oh, a, here's the danger, Reese. Yeah, let me tell you. Yeah? In Scripture, there's a left and a right. Moses said, "When you hear his commands, turn neither to the left nor to the right." Arminianism, or the other one, it doesn't matter what those are. There is Jesus in the middle. Now, my test is this: that doctrine that you believe, that Scripture, does it draw you away from your hope in Christ? Or does it bring you closer? It now, pastor closer. After us, what does being once saved, being always saved look like? It looks lazy. Yeah. And you see, you see, brother, brother, brother Reese, no, no, this is this is my biggest um biggest um contention. Now you have a view of salvation and you're living it. And I know you you're you're gonna do you're gonna strive, you're gonna do everything to, to serve God, to please God. Um you, you, you're gonna you're gonna strive to keep yourself holy. You're gonna strive all until the day you die. You're gonna be striving to be a better and better Christian. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Right. You don't believe in one save always save. You know. You know. I think you're. you're I think. I think some of the narrative that's you that's using there makes makes you say, well, you, you believe that, but your action doesn't believe it your action doesn't doesn't tie up with what you're practicing you know um it doesn't tie up at all you're striving to be better you you know though the lord has saved you you you, you know you're not just sitting on your laurels you're pouring into the scripture you're searching you, you you're looking at these false doctrine or whatever else and you're trying you're trying to warn people away from them why because there are implications you know so your life that you live in on the ground the thing that you're doing and practicing doesn't marry up to this concept and that's the that's why i ask what does it look like on the ground what does it look like and your life doesn't look like that that philosophy that, that that's out there 
you, you know it's like somebody talk about Darwin, Darwinism, and, and and still and still talking about God created Adam and Eve in, in you know and and things like that. It doesn't make no sense. It's a contradiction. But here's the thing, brother Reese, and I'm gonna say, human beings in the world of logic, human be beings are full of contradiction. We say something, but we haven't really tied up properly what we're saying with what we're practicing. So there's a conflict. There's a contradiction. So my life is saying one thing. My philosophy is saying something else, but they're not the same and your life you're you're practicing the same religion that i'm practicing you're practicing the same religion that brother parmvi and brother andrea is practicing you know you, you 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 know but 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 your language is saying something but but that's not what you're practicing uh i guess that's a gray it's a gray area because again like we've said like the we, we kind of I hope well anyway that we're kind of sitting in the middle so like i said at the start there's a lot of things we definitely definitely agree on And I guess, like the video says, that both sides fail to, <laughs> to explain the unexplainable. I'll tell you one thing. One thing we um we, we kind of don't agree on, and this is the only thing we don't agree on, and that is it's the way that we are looking at the scriptures and the way that we are um, isolating. Um, we, we, we're we're um, we're uh, making redundant 99% of the scripture to 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 and and I'll suggest an imposing. A view on those scriptures that is not being is not is not in the scripture. We're imposing something that's not there upon them. So the, the so those last couple of scriptures that you read, you know, um, you're definitely it was very evident to me that you're imposing on them something that's not really there. Can I add one thing to this? Um, I've got a uh, a book here now. You don't have to read it. It's philosophical. It's theological. I know some people have don't like that, but there's somebody from 700 AD. His name's John of Damascus. You don't have to have the saint on there if you don't want to. He has a book. In this book, he he's talking to the Muslims of the time because Islam's just been born, and he says to them, "One. Sh this is chapter 30, by the way, book two on uh, an exposition on the Orthodox faith." One should note that God foreknows all things, but that he does not predestine them all, because neither does he will evil to be done, nor does he force virtue. Those things which do not depend on us, however, he predestines in accordance with his foreknowledge. So there are things that happen around us that he can change, but he can't force us to do. He can't override our will, basically. He can't make us do good things and he can't make us do bad things. And that's the patristic understanding of will. Do you mean that he, he can, but he doesn't? Well, uh, yeah, in that sense, yes. All things are possible, but that would violate... It's not in his nature. Yeah, it's it's yeah. against love, yeah. isn't it? Because love is the highest... God is is yeah. love, right? That's one of his highest energies, we would say. One of his highest workings is, is probably yeah. the, the way to put exactly. it in English. Yeah. But... Um, mm. Yeah. yeah, if if he overrides your will, it's not showing love. So it, it's no. like contrary no. to his nature. It's, it's, he's a total dictator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if he does that, yeah. There's only one thing that God dictates: is terms and condition of going into heaven. <laughs> you know, um, you know, thou shalt not, thou shalt. God dictates that. He makes the law. He didn't negotiate with anybody for the law. He just says, "I am the Lord God, and this is and this is the way into heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You follow me." And that's the way into heaven. 
So in that sense, God dictates those what righteousness is. He, dis, he dictates what obedience in God looks like. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What we'll do is we'll um we'll transition to some of these questions that we might have in the uh, or at least like the comments if you guys want to um share on some of these uh, and to refer... you, you, you know what would be great Reece? what's that you know since we're dealing with um with a very small community of people i guess unless unless this goes out wider but some of the things that we're saying here probably there are, might be people in our circle that that have a um that have a view and i don't think for their own health and safety spiritual health and safety they need to be they need to be um they themselves i would suggest need to sit on the black chair and and and, and the black chair is is that um mastermind. That mastermind, yeah, yeah. Mastermind thing. they need to sit in there and justify for themselves why they hold those views that they hold you know and you know and this is what is working out your own salvation with fear and trembling you stand in the light and defend your acceptance or rejection of evolution or anything that it be you know and that's where they are to be anybody who have the view that you know come and defend it come and stand and justify why you stand where you stand that may sound a little bit aggressive but by god almighty i feel aggressive because that's where we need to be you know it's no good me saying i believe this you know i believe it come and prove it come and defend it come and give the rationale behind it that's what the scripture said every man should be able to give a reason for the hope that is in him and if you believe something defend it richard dawkins every day bless him he defends what he believe he comes out of the closet and he defends the gay man comes out and defend what they believe so anybody who believes something that different come and defend it and come and defend it that's what you need to do and that's 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 what quit and become like a man and come and defend what you believe well hope you've got a crowbar <laughs> <laughs> It would, it would be nice for other people to yeah. to jump on, but it's it's yeah, that's a times like this, Reese, that we in today's time, especially, we need to defend. Yeah, we need to stand up for what we believe. There's too many things going on. Christians are keeping quiet. There's all abomination around us, but Christians are wonderfully sitting in church, wonderfully being quiet, wonderfully looking up to heaven. And when their Lord sees them, what's he going to think? What did you do for me? <laughs> mm. I'll give you one last one last scripture. There were people that thought they looked very much like Pentecostalists, yeah? They thought they got through. Yeah? They thought they made it through. They got their tickets, they were there in front of Jesus before the great white throne judgment. And you know what happened? You know the story. Look, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that in your name? How on earth did they cast out demons if they weren't Christians? Tell me that, Reese. How did Jesus give them power to cast out in his name? It's possible to be a Christian and be a sinner. To live, to, to live in sin, have two minds, then at the end, like Balaam. Don't forget the ten virgins. Ten virgins. That was a scripture that I had in mind as well. That the oil ran out, yeah? So it's possible. See, let's see, with the, see with the ten virgins thing. Um... Uh, Five or four. Is five or it's, it's Matthew twenty-five, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But they, but but here's the thing, Reese. They're all virgins. Yeah, yeah. They've all got that, the name virgins, but five behave yeah. differently than the other five. Yeah. So the five so, behave so expectedly, and then you see that as you walk through that um, that passage, you see that the same thing repeats again. So the term changes, yeah. but the behaviors yeah. are consistent. So exactly behavior. Yeah. So, but 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 here's the thing. They're all they're all let's say, they're all Christians. They're all virgins. They're all followers of Christ. They're all given the same name virgins that pure ones that's what virgin means pure ones but their their minds it's their minds their minds not right but they're they are they are christians they are the ones they are the chosen ones see the only thing i would argue with that um is the um and it's in light of what jesus says about the because uh... remember sorry brother reese because sorry to cut you there you know I just love to cut the chase a little bit, you know, because, um, you know, Jesus is talking about Christian people here. You know, that's what the virgins are. Just like those uh, those people that Pramvia mentioned just now, you know, you know, those that coming and saying, Lord, Lord, we've been, we're your disciples. We, you know, we've been following you. We're doing all your commandments. You know, we've been casting out demons. And whose name? In your name. Everything we're doing. So, you know, what, 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 why are we not, what's going on? You know, uh, you, you know, are we not part of what you were part of? Oh, the well, I guess it's it goes back to something else because it's for me, it's it's um, it's fruits, not signs. It's because the signs were an external thing to show who Jesus was, whereas the fruits is very much an internal thing that shows who you are. So that's when, like, when Jesus curses the fig tree, it's like, or did you come to that conclusion by the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Did you read something so, about that interpretation? Is that so again, your interpretation? Is that oh, that's your, my interpretation, yeah. That's your own understanding, yeah? Because have you heard, have you read books on Calvinism or on this opinion? Or is this your, purely your own understanding? This is purely my own understanding. Okay. Uh, everything, like I said, we're, we're leading up to this, I'm not, I'm not going to be taking anything okay. from anybody else walking in. No, that's it's literally, that's I will sit down with scripture. Yeah. To, now, so yeah. you know why I mentioned about, when, when I talked about the fruit, if you're talking about fruit, yeah? I talked about mm -hmm. the vine. You can't have fruit without Jesus giving you the life, yeah? No man, yeah, totally, yeah. if a man abides in him, he will bear much fruit, yeah? But mm -hmm. my point was this, and I need you to answer me this. How did the branches dry up if they were in Christ? And why does the Father break them and cast them? He says, my Father is the gardener. Why is the Father taking them out of the vine and throwing them to be burned? If... How did they become into him in the first place? Are they Christians? And is the father deliberately taking them out because they've dried up? So my question is this. If they were eternally secure, if they were his sheep, why is the father pruning them and throwing them and cutting some and throwing the dead ones to be burned? Because uh, it goes back to um, to the discourse with John the Baptist. It's like... Um, um those who um those that we obviously um are gathered up into his barn and those who the heads are cut off and thrown into the fire so like we like we said like you can't connect them they're not it's, it's well it's it's a case of just like um were they were they christians and fell off or were no, they christians to begin you're, with? what you're relating to is he shall gather his fruit he shall gather his weed into the garner yeah he will sift them thoroughly yeah 
this is a classic argument. But the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. So what you're implying is that once everything's been sifted, you're left with just Christians. That's not <laughs> the same uh, horticulture we're talking about. We are talking about in Christ, the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. They are Christians because they are part of him. But yet, they have dried. You but, see that, but, it's, but then it's like, um, as I said, in the sense that um, not everyone who cries Lord, Lord will be saved. In the sense that, you know, there's people who profess to be Christians, which is what I think like this Matthew 26. This is Jesus saying that they are part of him. This is not profession. This is connection. This is relation. Yeah, so there was people who would say, oh, you know, I'm a Christian, no, no, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Do not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter into heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. These were doing the will, otherwise they would not be in him. Yeah, so that's, a, that's how I, um, um, in light of that scripture, how I interpreted Matthew 26. So, so they're all okay. considered okay. virgins. No, that's fine. So how did they dry up if they're part of him? Did God make them dry up? Because God is sovereign. Was it his will or their will, or did it just happen that they had to be burned? Well, it's like, well, we all deserve to be burned. That doesn't but explain in terms of, um, how they ended up in that condition. We all it, well, know that God is gracious. We all know we all need salvation. These were in Christ, but they dried up. Who made them dry up? Did they dry up? Did sin dry them up? Or did God make them dry up? Or did Jesus make them dry up? Or could it be that their own wills made them dry up? Mm, I'm, to... about that. I'm going to leave that one with you. And for those who espouse to Calvinism, please, you got my name. If you have an answer to this question, please come back. I'd love to hear your, your opinions. I've got plenty more. Jesus is always the center. If you keep him there, you can dispel, dispel any false doctrine. Now, why do I say this? Because Jesus is saying, in me, people can die if they dry up. If they lose their connection with me, they no longer receive life from me. Remember I gave that example about the tree in the garden? I found more dead branches on there, which I didn't see. And there's live ones, because it's the season. What a strange thing, living and dead together on the same tree. Yeah, and, and you know, this is where I, 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 we've used the scripture before in other discussion, you know. And, you, and, and this is what I'm saying, let's say, you know, you got to, in true, proper biblical um, 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 study, before we discuss um, every scripture, you got to bury some scripture. You got to tick them off, understood, understood, you know, before you, before you go on to, you, you have 10, 15 scriptures in the mix and you, and, and we haven't, we haven't sought, we haven't, um, answered uh, answered one you know it's like there's a door before you go through the second door you know you gotta shut the shut the other door yeah we've done and dusted go through the next door you know new question you know so 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 i will i, I will ask the question again you know um there is the this and and it and it must always come back to not my opinion but it must be the scripture and the scripture answers it's the scripture testify of itself it explains itself. It's its own dictionary. It's its own everything. You know, it it's comparing spiritual with spiritual, you know, all the time. You know, so, so so Jesus, Jesus was Ezekiel 320. And the author yeah. was Gabriel Rahim. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. And um, and so so you you have um, um, Jesus saying um, this is what's going to happen in the end time. He says because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Many, who's that? Many. It's not the world. It's his disciples. It's his followers. But their love is going to wax cold, grow cold, go gets get um solid you know um you know because iniquity abounds you know um and so 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 that's it in this world in in for us the Christ, jesus said to to um to god in 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 his prayer in john he says um father i'm not praying for the world but i'm praying for these disciples and i'm not even praying and, and i know the disciples would say lord why don't you take us out of this world? But you say, Father, I'm not praying that you would take them out, but I'm praying that you will keep them from the evil era, keep them from the evil one. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and um, you know, and 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 you know, and though God will keep us from the evil one, we also got to cling unto God, because if we don't cling unto Him, the evil one will get us. So we need we need to be like that little child that grab and hold onto mommy's um, skirt and things like that, or hold onto mommy's leg to be there, you know, and not to stray like some of those. Sometimes we see these wildlife films where um, the little babies stray away from the pack, stray away from the herd, and, and next thing you know, the lion, the prey, gobbles them up. You know, we need to stick tight to Jesus, yeah? And so long as we stick to him, you know, um, you know, um, and... and, and we're going to be safe, you know, and stick to him means some very fundamental thing. It means listen to him, obey his voice, follow his instruction. And if we do these things, we will be, we will neither be able, nothing will be able to move us. But the minute we start to doubt him, we start to stray away from him, we make our own self vulnerable. It's not nothing to do with God. It's us that stray. God doesn't stray us. We stray from him. He's always there. And and when we and the funny thing is that when we're straying, God doesn't just give a blind eye. He's calling us. As Brother Reese, you go back, he's pricking us with the Holy Spirit. But we become prick prick proof, you know, so that doesn't matter how much he prick us, you know, we're just not responding to it. But he's there pricking us, calling us back, you know, and um, you know, and, and that and, you, you know, and fundamentally you know, somebody said this many, many years ago to me, and I believe it, you know, that nobody will end up in heaven who don't know why they're there. And nobody will end up in hell who don't know why they're there. You know, um, because it's a choice. It's you, You've rejected um, God and you end up in hell. So you're there. Why you're here? I rejected God. Why you're in heaven? Not because of might, not because of strength, but I did the one simple thing that mm -hmm. the only thing that I could do. I listened to Jesus and I followed him. I walked in his footstep. He, I didn't make the, I didn't make the track. I just kept on seeing his footstep, and I keep on treading in every, everywhere he tread. That's where I was treading, and that's how I end up in this place called Evan. Reese, I'd like to just show you um, an icon. I know that icons are not part of um, this tradition, um, but here's an icon for you. Right, we were talking about Judas earlier. This is a very ancient icon. And you said that Judas was predestined. But can you see here, what, what does this icon say to you? 
I don't know if you can see it. Is it the little thing on his shoulder? Is it that? Yeah, so you can see there's a little thing on his shoulder. But what is he doing? Oh, leaving. Yeah, he's leaving. Can you see there's an empty halo here with his head in there? Mm -hmm. So, So that shows he had a space available. Had he have chosen to stay in that space, he could have been one of the 12 who was on the thrones in heaven judging the world, right? But instead he chose, under the influence of demons, he chose to leave his spot. Do you see what I'm saying? So these ancient icons show that free will is a part of how it's called the mystery. Well, you have the mystery of iniquity. We don't actually know how somebody can be in participation with God and still do the wrong thing. It's a mystery. We don't really know why that happens, Mm. but it can happen. So free will is always the, is always the first thing. And that explains what happened to Judas. He had a crown ready for him and he chose to walk away from it. That's the, that's the kind of the crux of the argument with, with Judas. Yeah. I think there's another good point here as well. Um, um, and, I, and I'm not going to say Reese because I, I don't think you disbelieve any of what we're saying. So I'm, I don't want to make it sound as if it's us and you and or anything like that. You know, it's us and the ideas, um, you know, and, and, and this is what the scripture says. And this is what I'm saying. You, we, we got to give um, weight to every scripture. And, and, and this is what the scripture say. A man is, um, a man, um, a man, a man sins when he is led astray by his own lust. Judas had lust, and when we could, we we could, we could, we could, we could discover what his lust were. He had them, you know, and um, and even though he was walking with Jesus, he still had those lusts that needed to be brought under subjection. It's just like we probably all have issues in our lives that needs to be brought into subjection and become slave to us, as the Apostle Paul say, beat my body, make it my slave. You know, um, so so a man is a man sins when he's led aside, led astray by his own lust, something that is in us that we allow to lead us astray from God. And that is called sin, when we are led astray by our own loss. Judas, we know the scripture, told us part of his loss. I don't think it was all of it, but it said he was a thief. That's what the Bible says, he was a thief. That was part of his loss. He loved money. Hence, and we, we see the manifestation, he received 30 pieces of silver to do the job. We know when he when he said to Jesus, he, he said, you know, why is this woman pouring this expensive oil on you? We could have sold it for 300 pence and we could have fed the poor. The scripture gives the narrative. He didn't say that because he loved the poor, but because he was a thief and he, and he carried the money. Yeah. You know, so he had his problem, just like I would say that we all have problems. And if we're not careful and submit those problems to the foot of the cross, we they will eventually cause us to be led astray away from Jesus Christ. And then we become that those those um, brambles that Brother Parmby was talking about that become dried up and withered up and eventually um, are, are pruned off the tree. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I'm beginning to glaze over. I didn't realize how tired I was. <laughs> um, um, Did you say you were tired, sir? Yeah. I, I think I, I, the coffee I had about six or seven hours before. <laughs> it's wearing off now. Crazy, sir. Here is a whole man here that I now declare that I'm no more young. I'm now 67 and I'm still, I'm, I'm bubbling to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't eaten, fun, funny enough. When I disappeared down this, because I had something in the fire that said, my goodness, I must go and turn that off before it catches fire. It's okay. This is, this is all good stuff. And it's, it, listen, I, I love this discussion because they're purposeful. They're, they're, they're not arrogant. They're not they're seeking truth, and that's what we ought to do. Ask questions, seek truth, because only when we seek, we're going to find things. And that's even the scripture said that. Seek and you will find. Knock the door shall be opened. Ask and it shall be given. That's what we must do. We mustn't keep things bottled up and whatever. And so a lot of folks might be listening. A lot of our folks, our folks, the, our precious folk that have grown up and been with us, our children, whatever that have that have come grown up in under our uh, under our wings or whatever in our community in our church circle and things like that, might be struggling with some of these questions and other questions and other things, you know. But here is what I always say: is that say, it does matter what you believe, because what you believe will dictate what you practice. You know, so if you believe foolishness, you will practice foolishness, you know, and um, and so we need to um, we need to be very, very um, we need to we need to we need to um, synchronize our belief, the doctrines of God, because they're not man's doctrine. They're not my doctrine. You know, the word of God is the doctrine of God, you know, and we need to synchronize our will. To be in submission to the doctrine of of God, you know, to what God is saying, we need to submit to them and practice them and love them and promote them and um, and and extol them and push them out and promote them. But first of all, we got to reconcile ourselves with them so that we do accept them, we understand them, and we we we, we love them and we want to promote and serve them. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against it. We need to, we need to, we need to understand. It's great to understand. And the only way you're gonna, it's no good just to go away and say, oh, I'm, you know, not to be arrogant like the man and say, oh, you know, this is what I believe and I don't care what you're gonna say to me. This is what I believe and this is what I'm always gonna believe. No, that's a fool, you know, and um, we must be hoping to listen to reason, to see if there's flaws in my argument, in your argument, and then we must be prepared to adjust and to change, to drop off. When we get greater understanding, we need to move on. And so we stand on the shoulders of giants, as they say, and we become better better people. Mm, I think it has, yeah, it's been a very, um, very fruitful and interesting conversation. Um, I'm glad that, yeah, it's, it's worked in this format. Um, We'll have to see. Well, we can do it like once a month on different topics. That'll be quite cool. But obviously, like we'll we'll have the, um, the podcast itself uh, running still alongside all of this. And Andrew, you're more than happy to join on that if you want. <laughs> more than happy to join. I can get you. Yeah, thanks for that. that. So uh, thank uh, you for having, uh, um, having us. I appreciate that, dude. Uh, I must say, Andre, I don't know if you remember me. No, I might have been too young. <laughs> you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know, but but I I. I you know, I, I recognize um, your face as being um, 
you have the you have the DNA of of, of Brother Paramvir. I me. can see, <laughs> and I can and I can also hear it in hear it in your voice. And uh, you know, it, and that that's a that's a wonderful testimony of God that we can I can look at you, hear you, and I can say, wait, there's why where's the similarity? Why does he sound so similar? Why does he look like I remember Paramvir when he Paramvir was the much much younger? You know, because God has put that genetic DNA in you. You are inseparable. And so it must be that we must eventually strive to become inseparable from the word of God. You know, we must be tied to it, you know, so that it, it feeds us in the night when we sleep and we lie down, when we wake, we shout it and we shout it correctly all the time. And forget about those foolish people who believe that, that we can't know the word of God properly. We can know the word of God properly. We, but, and here's the beautiful thing, because the Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit is eager, longing to reveal and to make us, lead us into the truth of God. That's why he's given to us. Amen. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I agree. I'm going to have to leave. So I think, thank you for this because I'm teaching in the morning. So, oh, okay. <laughs> I know, brother Andre. The reason why I said that is the reason why I say I know you is because I always hear brother Prambia talk about Andre, Andre, Andre. <laughs> so that's that's where that's. The, but 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 now I'm glad to see you. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Praise yeah. God. Thank you. It's been a fruitful discussion. So God bless you and take care. God bless. God bless. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you guys. Again, thank you, Alfred. I thank you, Andre, for and Paramvia. And I also thank those who have been tuning in on YouTube as well onto this very uh, fiery conversation. <laughs> I hope it has been beneficial to you in some way, shape, or form, and it does spark at least some conversations in circles. That The main thing is that you're coming to know Christ more, um, that you are considering things that are very much in regards to him, and that you grow deeper in your faith. That will be the main thing, regardless of all these things that we can, because essentially what we're discussing is non-essentials. Like it, it, it doesn't hamper what Christ has done for us and we should always keep it in the front of our mind. But it's always good to have conversations like this, just to, to focus on things that are, are Christ-minded. So I thank you for enjoying this very long and fiery session. And I hope um, <laughs> the smoke doesn't cling to you as you head on for tonight, but Thank you very much for uh, joining on us through this um, session. So um, if you're followers of this uh, podcast, by all means, continue us on there. But until the next one, you guys take care and God bless. <laughs>